Well, praise the Lord. It's good. Uh, I guess I could ask this question to start off with. How many of you in here beyond a shadow of a doubt know that you know that you know that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior? Okay, that's everybody. Praise the Lord. So we're not dealing with anybody except Christians today. You can't be ashamed of the King. You've got to know that He is your Lord and He's your Savior. And without it, you know, you're, without knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you won't be able to receive anything from God on your own. You'll have to have somebody that is a man or a woman of God that prays in faith, and then God can do mighty things even for the lost. But He only does it through those men and women of faith that are His children, that love Him and serve Him. And as we love and serve the King, I mean, some of the easiest people in the world to get healed that I have dealt with has been the lost people. They don't know nothing. You know, they, I mean, God uses totally your faith to heal them. And I've seen that many, many times. Seen him do miraculous miracles for people. I mean, just like Peter. You remember the story over in the book of Acts there when Peter came up to the gate that day to the temple. And, of course, you know, the thing about it is they're going to church during the week. You know, normally we as Christians go to church maybe once a week. You know, sometimes twice. But... We don't spend a lot of time in church, even as Christians. But anyway, Peter walked up to the temple, and when he walked up there, there was a man sitting there, and he was begging for money. He says, uh, alms, alms, money, money, can I have some money? Do you know there's a lot of people still out there doing that today? Begging for money. Well, Peter knew who he was, but Peter didn't have a lot of money either. So he said, I don't have any money. I got something better than money. He says, what I have, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. That man looked up at him, and I can only see what that guy's doing. He's looking up saying, are you crazy? I ain't never walked a day in my life. I, don't, I can't get up. That's why I'm here at this gate. They carry me here every day and set me down. You know. And Peter looked down and Peter thought, you know, this guy ain't going to get it. So he looked down and he grabbed his hand and he says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And he jerked that devil right out of him. And when he jerked him up, the guy come up and he hit the ground and that devil left. And as soon as that devil left, he could walk. And the guy says, my legs, my legs work. And this guy goes running around screaming up and down the temple steps and everything else, screaming, God is awesome. And then the religious bunch of people come over, the pastors of the church. I mean, I'm just telling you what it is, you know. And they say, how did you do this? He said, if you think it's by my holiness or my righteousness that this man stands before you healed, you're crazy. But he said, it's by faith in the name of Jesus that this man stands before you well. Now see, when you use faith in the name of Jesus, Jesus is the only man that ever walked on this earth that had no sin. Is that right, brother? No, he was perfect, wasn't he? And since he defeated the devil 2,000 years ago, the devil can't 
he can't come against Jesus, can he? Now, he might say something to you and me. I mean, I think of the story, you know, where that the little seven sons of Sceva, you know, over in the book of Acts, they, were, they, heard, they saw all these things happen. So one day they come up there and they said, In the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, we command you to come out of this man. What did they think was in that man? They knew the way the man was acting, there was something wrong. So he's bound to have a demon. Well, today we don't even think about when people do something stupid or wrong that they got a demon. You know, we just don't think about demons. You know, demons are in Africa. They're in India. But demons couldn't possibly be in America. They're in Puerto Rico, but not in America, right? (laughs) They're everywhere except where we are, right? No, the demons are everywhere. It don't make no difference where you go, what country you live in. These beasts are there. And they're there to make your life miserable. So, when we get a hold of this, that whenever that man said, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, I command you to come out of him. Well, that man looked over at those seven sons of Sceva and he says, Jesus I know. And Paul I know about. But who are you? And so one man, one man, he jumps on seven guys and begins to rip their clothes off them, you know, just ripping their clothes off and beating the thunder out of them. And these seven men run off totally naked, bleeding. Now one man did that to those seven guys. What do you think? What do you think was in that one man that could take seven big men and beat them and strip their clothes off and leave them bleeding and naked? It had to be a demon. That's absolutely right. I mean, I've never seen, i never seen one man in my life that could beat up seven full-grown men. Have you? No. No. Seven men can overcome one man. But they couldn't, that guy. Seven men were overcome by one man that had a demon or maybe a host of demons in him. Well, that's what we're dealing with here. Demons. In fact, I had a Somebody told me a story the other day I thought was pretty awesome. It was a dream, I understand. And this person, man, woman, whoever it was, I think it was a woman, had the dream. And she said she was sitting there, and all of a sudden she looked over, and there sat, there come a man into a hospital, into a doctor's clinic. And the doctor's sitting there, and this guy comes in begins to tell this doctor what he thinks is wrong with him. He said, you know, I really feel bad. Uh, you know, I believe I have, you know, something really seriously wrong with me because I can't do these kind of things no more. He began to tell him all these things. And in this dream, this man was sitting here, the doctor was sitting there, and there was a demon on each side of the doctor. And the woman was able to see these demons in the dream. And said one of the demons leaned over and whispered in the doctor's ear, tell him he has terminal cancer. So the doctor just said, you know, wonder where that thought come from, right? No, it came from a devil. He said, you know, from your symptoms, you may very well have terminal cancer. So the guy said, oh my goodness, I have terminal cancer? He said, when he said that, his chest opened and those two demons entered his flesh in the dream. Isn't that amazing? 
See? Now, if you know who you are in Christ, and you know that Jesus defeated the devil 2,000 years ago, and that all power and all authority in heaven and earth has been given to the king, you know that? You know that? You know in the scripture that that makes that statement? You know that the devil is defeated? You know, I think about this story about what Jesus done for us. In fact, I'll tell you a little story. Since we got white and black people in here today, I'm going to tell you a story. The black people in America was treated like a nobody in America for many years. Abraham Lincoln, a man of God, decided it's time that the black people be treated just like the white people. Or the brown, or the gray, or the red, or the yellow, or any other. And so we went to war to set the black people free. And technically speaking, after that war, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, and every black man and woman in America was set free. But for another hundred years, the black men rode in the back of the bus, if they was allowed to ride in the bus. They couldn't eat in certain restaurants. They couldn't go certain places. They lived like a second-class citizen. Until about 1960, whenever a black man by the name of Martin Luther came on scene, a preacher, and he said, it's time we have, according to the, the written word that is in Washington, we had an Emancipation Proclamation signed by Abraham Lincoln that we have the right to do anything anybody else does in America. Is that right? We have the right to work at the same place as everybody else. We have the right to go and use the same bathrooms. Our skin may be a different color, but we're human beings. And so he took, with it is written, but it cost him his life. Somebody killed him. But still he took with words what had belonged to the black man and woman ever since Abraham Lincoln, which was a white man, had signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Starting then, things began to change after Martin Luther. It still took a long time. But pretty well today, and still not everywhere. I mean, you can still, you know, I mean, you can, some white people can go to black parts of the city. And they don't want you down there because you're white. And some white parts, a black man can go, and they don't want you there. Because we still look at people not like human beings. But as a rule, in America, a white man or a black man or a brown man or a red man can buy a house anywhere they want to. Nobody can discriminate against you. You can buy a house. You can live where you want to. You can walk in any restaurant. You can walk in any bathroom. You can do anything anybody else could do. How long had the black man had that privilege? ever since Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. It was yours. But why did you live as second-class citizens so long? Because you didn't take by force with it is written what belonged to you. Well, let me tell you. The king of the universe, Jesus Christ, signed the Emancipation Proclamation in his own blood 2,000 years ago, and he gave it to everybody. It didn't matter what color you are, did he? Praise God. Aren't we grateful for that? It makes no difference what color you are. He signed the Emancipation Proclamation and he gave it in a set of rules, a law book, and he gave it to us. And today 
we as Christians, it makes no difference what color you are, we as Christians live a second-rate life as a rule. And we yield to the devil instead of to God. Because the devil has defeated us, because he's kept us down, because we don't know what our book says. But now then, whenever you as a Christian, regardless of your color, nationality, creed, it makes no difference. As sons of God, when we become children of God, when we read the book, technically speaking, when you became a child of God, you were set free. Now, I used to ask this question. How many of you have ever heard Jesus make this statement in his word? When he died, just before he died, he said, it is finished. Anybody remember that? What was finished? I asked that question a lot of times in my life. What did the king mean when he said, it is finished? You know, when you begin to read the book in detail, and the more you read it, you begin to understand that when Jesus said, it is finished, he had finished or settled salvation for the whole world. He had paid the price for sin. He had come to this earth. He had lived a perfect life. The enemy killed him. He went into the lowest hell and paid the price for yours and my punishment that we couldn't pay. And then after three days, he arose from the dead. And then he walked on this earth for 40 days. And then he went back to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. Everything was done. He paid the price for sin. So anytime anybody, I don't care who you are, how old you are, how young you are, what color you are, makes no difference. Any human being, I don't care if you were the worst rapist, murderer, you know, I don't care what you were, if you come to Christ and ask Him to forgive you for your sins and accept Him as Lord and Savior, how many of you will He turn away? Not one single one of us. He saved everyone. When He said it's finished, that was yours. Now, how many people today do you know that are going to die and go to hell whenever the free gift has been paid, but they're not willing to believe it? When it comes to salvation, what percentage do you think of the people are really saved? Well, let me tell you, I know a man by the name of Howard Pittman that died in 1979, but yet he's alive today. I just talked to him a few months ago on the telephone. But yet in 1979, he died. Have you heard of him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had a massive uh, heart uh, artery sever in his heart, and he literally bled to death internally. And when he got to heaven, he walked up to the gate. Y'all come in. Praise the Lord. Come on in. Come on in. We've got places all over the place. We've got front seaters up here. I mean, if you're late, you get to sit in the front seats. You praise the Lord. <laughs> Y'all come on. Come on. Praise the Lord. But anyway, Howard died. And he went to heaven, and when he got to heaven, the Lord told him when he got there, he said, Howard, you're not going to get any rewards, because everything you did on earth, you did for yourself. He said, Lord, you mean I'm going to, get, I'm going to come to heaven, I'm not going to receive a single reward? He said, no. He said, you didn't believe my word. You didn't teach my word. He said, Lord, oh, by the way, what we're right there right now, just if you've got a cell phone... Either turn it off or put it on silent. 
I heard somebody's beep back there. It made me think I hadn't turned mine off either. But anyway, he told him, said, you've not believed my word, and so you're not going to get a single reward. And he said, let me tell you, when you're standing before the king of kings and you're hearing that voice, it is a scary thing. So he said, Lord, I beg the Lord. He said, Lord, I don't want to come into heaven and have no rewards. Well, he said, you didn't teach any of my miracles. None of the things I said in my word, you didn't teach them. He said, well, Lord, I taught what I went to an Independence Baptist seminary, and I taught what they taught. He said, I didn't tell you to teach what they taught. I told you to teach what I said in my book. And he's not going to get any rewards. So he asked the Lord, Lord, please let me go back. I want to do something for you. Well, that was in 1979. You know, that's a long time ago. You know, many years ago. But the Lord sent Howard back, and he's been preaching the truth ever since. I mean, and he's still preaching it. But one of the things he said that was so awesome, he said, when I died, I'm walking down a highway. I said, Lord, where am I? He said, didn't you read my book? Why, yes, Lord, I did. He said, well, then you should know you're on the highway to heaven. I told you in Isaiah that there's a highway to heaven. What? Yeah, but you, this is, you said it, it's literal? Yes. He said, Howard, count the number of people on the highway. So he starts counting them. He said, Lord, there's 50. He said, that's right, son, there's 50. He said, now from the minute you died on earth to right now, 15 minutes have passed on earth. 15 minutes. In that 15 minutes, he said, 2,000 people have died. 2,000 in 15 minutes. I mean, the numbers are massive, aren't they? And of course, there's probably 2,000 born, too, in that 15 minutes. But right now, we're coming to the end of life instead of the beginning. And he said, Lord, you mean in the 15 minutes that 2,000 people have died? He said, where's the rest of them? He said, this is all that's going to go to heaven. You know what? That's only 2.5%. There's a whole lot more than 2.5% of the world professes to be Christian. There's something wrong with this, isn't it? We are not doing what the king told us to do. I mean, we're supposed to be out in the course of your day. You're supposed to be telling people about Jesus. You know, you're supposed to be praying for people. You're supposed to be laying hands on the sick. You're supposed to be doing things that will bring glory and honor to God. So you get to see him do great and mighty things. How many people do you know that have faith to pray for people and see God do awesome, wonderful miracles. You know, it's a shame that I was in a church for 40 plus years of my life and never saw a single miracle or a single healing. Now, some of y'all might have been in a church just like I was. Now, let me ask that question. How many of you have been in a church a lot of your life and technically your church has no miracles and no healings of any kind? Anybody in here in a church like that? Isn't that amazing? Why is it if we're serving the King of kings and Lord of lords, why is it he's not doing something great in your church? Obviously, we don't have faith. 
Obviously, he said, without faith it's impossible to please me. I know a couple right here. I know this couple's married. I know them. I started to point out this couple back here, but I don't know y'all. Are y'all married? No, he is with her. Okay, he's with her. Okay, so that's why I didn't know who, who to choose here. Because I know this one. I know they're married. So I can say it like this. <clears throat> if everything that he did for you in the course of a week pleased you, I mean just abundantly pleased you, what would you do for him? Anything he asked, right? What if nothing he did for you pleased you? You would be quite so quick to do nice things for him, would you? Isn't that amazing how that works? So guess what? God is no different. If you please the king, what will the king do for you, brother? He'll do anything, won't he? He said he would, didn't he? But what if we don't do anything in faith? He said, without faith, it's impossible to please me. So if you don't do a few things in faith, guess what he's going to do for you? If he ain't happy with you, you're not going to get much from him, are you? Now, I've, I've learned, and obviously, obviously, that when I was in a normal church all those years, it was obvious that I was not really pleasing him. I had a lot of opportunities to see people get healed or delivered. But I didn't know enough about the Word of God to even pray for anybody in faith. But when you get a hold of this fact, when you realize that your Emancipation Proclamation was signed by the King 2,000 years ago, when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, I mean, every sin that you've ever committed is under the blood. Now then, when the king looks at you, he sees you through the blood of his son. Now, if you have all of your sins repented of and you're walking in obedience to the word, the king says, you can come into my throne room and ask me for anything and I will do it for you. Now, here's something about healing that took me a long time to understand. That was also done on the cross 2,000 years ago. Just like Judy, whenever I told Judy that day, whenever I walked, when I walked into her place in 1998 or 99, whatever it was, I think it was March the 4th of 99. <clears throat> Here's a little lady, 53 years old or four, whatever it was, breast cancer for two years. The doctors told her that we can remove both of your breasts and you might live an extra six months. She said, I'm only going to live six months. I'm going to die as a whole woman. You ain't going to slaughter me. She said, I'll just take it like this. But see, she was a Baptist woman. She didn't realize that this thing that was eaten on her breast were demons. I went down there that morning, got up at 5 o'clock. And this is how you can tell the difference between those that believe their God will do something and those that don't. When you come in late, 11, 12 o'clock at night on Friday night, you don't get up at 5 o'clock the next morning go down to DFW Airport and get on an airplane and fly to Houston and have an hour change to layover and get to Corpus at 1020 and then go to somebody's house you ain't never seen in your life unless you believe your God can do wonderful things. Right. Yeah, you don't do that. But that's what I did that day. And then I spent five hours in that home. That woman, when I got there that day, I said, tell me your story. Well, her and her husband both Christians or Baptists. They go to church. <coughs> 
but I'm trusting Jesus to heal me. I said, ma'am, i got news for you. Jesus is not going to heal you. She said, what? I said, no, ma'am, I'm going to show you today that he's already done it on the cross 2,000 years ago. The king has already bore your sickness and removed your disease. And I'm going to prove to you this is a devil that's eating your breast off. And I'm going to prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have all power over that devil. And Jesus has made you the caretaker of this body that he lives in. And the devil is the one that's destroying your flesh. And that we are going to kick him out before this day is over in the name of Jesus. So five hours later. Now this little woman. She was a beautiful woman. I could tell she had been a beautiful woman. Right now she's about 80 pounds. Eat up with cancer. It's even got coming out little places on her head. Her colon was blocked. Her intestines were blocked. She hadn't had a bite of food to eat in over three weeks. She's dying. Doctor told her this week's her last week on earth. She's going to die. Took her three hours to get out of bed that morning. She would not let me minister. She would not let me come to her house and minister to her in bed in her gown. So she got up and got dressed. Took her three hours. I know some of you women are slow. (laughs) But that's excessive. But with terminal cancer, I can understand this. Now, I've seen some normal women take three hours to get out of bed and get dressed. (laughs) Some of y'all may be that woman. I don't know. But anyway, she got up that morning, put her clothes on, and got in a chair. When I got there, she was sitting in a chair. I began to show her the things I'm going to show you today from God's Word. Y'all come on in. Praise the Lord. And after five hours of teaching the Word of God, I said, now, ma'am, do you have enough faith to be healed? What do you got to have to get healed? You got to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I've seen, I've seen people say, well, I, I have faith. No. You think you got faith. You really don't know what it is. I didn't. And that's why I never saw a miracle. I really didn't trust these promises with no doubt in my heart. But I'm slowly getting there now where I can. But anyway, I told her. I said, this is a demon that's killing you. And I want to prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have all power over these beasts and Jesus has already defeated them and we're going to drive them out in the name of Jesus. Well, after five hours of teaching, I looked over and I said, Judy, have you heard enough of God's word to be healed? And her husband fell out of the chair. He was on his knees with his hands raised and he said, Lord, I cannot believe I've been in church all of my life and I didn't know these things from your word. Well, now see, why was she dying? Because she didn't know what was hers. She had not realized the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed 2,000 years ago by the King of the Universe and set her free. But then she got it. I looked over at her. I said, how about you, ma'am? She looked at me, and if I ever saw a little Baptist woman, that had fire in her eyes. She, when I looked at her, I said, how about you, ma'am? 
She said, you come over here and cast this devil of hell out of me right now in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to be healed right now. Now, there's a woman that got it. I mean, she's 80 pounds, struggled up, going to die that week. I walked over there, and her faith was mountain high. Of course, it taken me five hours to build her faith. But after five hours of intensive teaching from the Word of God, when I went over and laid my hands on her just like Peter did, that man, I drove that devil of hell out of her and spoke the healing power of Jesus in her. I said, now, do you believe you're healed? She said, yes. I said, then get up. I reached down and put my hand out. She took it, and she stood up. And I said, well, I guess i got to get, go get on an airplane. i got less than an hour before my airplane leaves. She said, I'm going with you. I said, okay. Now, this is a woman took three hours for her to get out of bed. Get her through the clothes on. So she walks down them stairs with her husband and me, goes out and gets in that car. We drive out to that airport, and I said, well, it's a long ways up to that terminal. I kind of got to hurry, so I said, I'll see you all later. She said, oh, no, we're going to walk to that gate with you. I said, well, then you're probably still weak. She said, no, I was weak, but now that Jesus is my strength and I'm healed, I'm going to walk with you to that gate. Now, see, this is faith talking, right? She really believes this. So she gets out of that car, and her husband and me, we walk all the way up there, walk right up to that gate. I get on that airplane, and they wave me off. She goes back, she walks all the way back to that car, starts to get in that car, and she sets down that car with her husband in the front seat and says, Honey, drive right down yonder. That's the best fried shrimp place in town right there. I ain't had a bite to eat in three weeks. We're going to have fried shrimp dinner tonight. Uh, see, that's faith, isn't it, brother? Now, this woman ain't had a bite to eat in three weeks. I can only imagine what the devil's saying, can't you? Oh, you, yeah, you what is it? You know you ain't going to eat nothing? And she said, oh, yeah. After what I've learned today from the Word of God, Jesus has healed me. It's done. It's mine. Praise God. I'm not sick no more. She went down there. She sat down had a fried shrimp dinner that night. Next afternoon, Sunday afternoon. Of course, Sunday morning I went to church and everything. Sunday afternoon she called me. She said, Thurman, praise God. I said, well, good to hear your voice, Judy. I said, how are you doing? She said, I am healed. She said, we stopped and had a fried shrimp dinner last night. And I woke up this morning and everything in my body worked perfect. You know what that means, don't you? All of her organs was passing liquids and solids and everything just like they were supposed to. She was healed. By Tuesday, she was walking two miles a day. And that woman, six months later, I was in a Sunday school class in Justin and... The lady that had, her and her husband had bought my airplane ticket to go down there, good friends of theirs, she walked in and says, look at these pictures. Hmm. I said, I know that old boy standing there. I said, who's that good-looking woman standing beside him? They said, you know who that is, don't you? I said, yeah, that's Judy. I said, she looks a little different today than she did six months ago when I saw her. By this time, she weighed about 120 pounds, 125 pounds. Beautiful, beautiful woman. Now then, six months ago, she had a couple days left to live. But she found one man that believed the Word of God. That's all it takes, is one man that believes God's Word. Peter had that kind of faith. To them that have received this like precious faith like we have. You know, you read that. I want you to see that in the Scripture. Let's take the Word of God and let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 
Now read verse 1, 2 Peter. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. To them that have obtained this like precious faith. You know, I read this verse, set of verses, no telling how many times, and it just right over my head. Anybody in here besides me ever read anything in the Bible that just went right over your head? I mean, here it is, black and white or red and black and white. But why is it that we don't believe what we read? Listen to what he says. To them that have obtained this like precious faith. Now then, Peter had received some kind of powerful faith. I mean, Peter was out there. In fact, Peter had such great faith that the longer he saw what God was doing, he'd just walk up to somebody and say, somebody be sick. He said, let my shadow just cover over you and you'll be healed. How would you like to have that kind of faith, brother? I want it, don't you? Yes, yes I do. I want to see those kind of things happen. Well, then when you realize God's on your side and he's your daddy and his son is your brother. The case is kind of rigged, isn't it, Arnold? It's ours. We're sons and daughters of the king of the universe and he's on our side. And he's empowered us with all these wonderful things. I want you to look what he says here. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How's the grace and peace going to be multiplied to you? Through the knowledge of God. Well, how are you going to get this knowledge? Watching television? Listen to the radio? I used to drive down the road coming from work. I think of the days I wasted in my life. Driving down the road, listening to that somebody done somebody wrong song. Any of y'all ever heard any of that stuff? Yes. I mean, back when I was a younger man, I knew, and all, of course, you know, back in the days when I was raised up in the time when you ain't nothing but a hound dog was very popular. <laughs> Y'all heard those songs too, haven't you? All that stuff that I used to listen to and everything that I knew, you know how much that helped me with the kingdom of God? It didn't help one bit, did it? There was no power in that kind of stuff. And I listened to that junk. You know, somebody said, well, you've got to have some entertainment. What do you do for entertainment? I said, read and study the Word of God. Go out and cast out demons, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead. That's what I do for excitement. Amen. You know, I don't want to do this stuff. I don't want to be involved in the world. I don't want nothing to do with the world. I mean, I think about Sharon's been working for us about the last, what, six weeks or something, Sharon? She's paid, I don't know how many people she's paid for and I've had several people that have called me and talked to me. And they say, you know, that girl, Sharon, she don't put up with nothing. She just tells you like it is. Get healed. Repent of your sins and get healed. I said, well, you don't know why she does that? I said, because she found out that's after she was sick for nearly 30 years or whatever it was. I said, she had all the same problems. I said, Sharon had back problems for years. She had brain 
problem, brain tumors. She had an arm that wouldn't work, a leg, a hip that wouldn't stay in. Or why don't she had so many things? I've made the statement. I said Sharon was a basket case. In fact, here a while back, somebody called. She said, "This is Sharon." And she said, they said, Sharon, you couldn't be the basket case, Sharon. <laughs> is that what they said, Sharon? She said, but I ain't a basket case no more. The basket case had been put back together by the power of God. And I see, here's another woman sitting right here. She's not like Judy. She's sitting right here, and she was that basket case. She had brain tumors. I mean, you know, she had all kinds of problems. Been in pain for 30 years. And I told her when she came to a healing school, if she'd do what God said, I guaranteed we could get her healed. Well, she did what God says, and we got her healed. Now then, she can pray the prayer of faith for people and see God do awesome things. But she don't tolerate no sin. In fact, I got tickled at Sharon. After she got healed up for at least a year, year and a half, or maybe two years, every once in a while I'd walk up to her and she'd walk in that door and I'd say, Good morning, young lady, or good afternoon, young lady. I said, Have you backslid this week? No, she says, absolutely not. I ain't getting in no kind of sin. I said, you didn't hold a grudge against nobody this week. She said, absolutely not. See, she's learned the consequences of sin. It don't matter what anybody does to her, she's going to walk in love. Because she likes walking in divine health, don't you, Sharon? It's a whole lot better than the pain and the suffering and the brain tumors and the arm and the leg and all the other stuff. But God has given us... But see... Sharon was just like the rest of us. She didn't know her Emancipation Proclamation had been signed by the king to give her all this stuff 2,000 years ago. Well, the devil beat up on you for a long time, didn't he? But he'll do it to everybody. He did it to you too, didn't he, Orville? But not anymore. I mean, Orville, he can pay the prayer of faith for people. Wow! And I, I think about a little southern. In fact, when Orville and his wife came to the first healing school, seven or eight years ago. He was a truck driver. Still is, I guess. But at least he was until just recently. And he had carpal tunnel so bad in both hands he could hardly grip the steering wheel of his truck. I told him, that's a demon. Now, as a Southern Baptist, that's not something you hear spoken of very often in the Baptist church. But I told him he had a demon. And I said, what we needed to do, I said, you, need, you and your wife need to get all your sins repented of and when you do, then we'll drive them devils out of you and God will heal you. So at the break time, him and his wife go out to the car and get all their sins confessed. Now, they don't do it to me, but they do it to the king because they know the king's the one that's going to heal him, see. So they go out there and say, Lord, we're so sorry we've done this, 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 this. And then as they come back in for another hour and a half or two hours. And at the end, I said, now who's ready to be healed? Orville jumps up and says, I am. He walked up there and I reached up and grabbed a hold of his arms. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command these demons of carpal tunnel to come out of you and for you to be healed. And God instantly healed him. I mean, he could make a fist and he's been able to use them arms ever since. They still work good, don't they, Arnold? No numbness, no nothing. That's been, what, seven or eight years ago? Now, yeah, I know. Yeah. Now, does Jesus do good work or does Jesus do good work? Amen. Now, see, to them that have obtained like precious faith. Now, see, that's what we're supposed to be able to do if we got like precious faith. Well, this Baptist, he saw himself healed. He said, hey, what this guy's teaching is a pretty fine thing I've ever heard, but it worked. That's something, isn't it? That's what Jesus said. He said, if you don't believe I am the Son of God, 
then at least believe on the miracles that I do. Yeah, isn't that amazing? That I'm from God. You know? And so, Arbel said, hey, if what this man's teaching worked for me, for him, when he laid hands on me, then it'll work for me. And so he started studying, and he started devouring everything I had made up to that time. And I guess he has continuously done that. And he's got in the Word that can check out that what I say is what the Word says. And so now then he walks, there's no telling. There is no telling how many miracles and healings that Orville Couch has seen in that little Baptist church down at Combine, Texas. And not only that, all over the country. But when people need to be healed. In fact, one of the stories, one of the stories he's told I love to tell about the little boy that had the bad heart. And he wanted to go with the RAs to camp. And he's the RA leader. And so his mother said he can't go because if he gets hit in the chest or anything, it could kill him. She's a normal Baptist, see. I should say a normal Christian. Not a Baptist. Marvel said, I will take care of him with my own life, ma'am. I will watch over him. The little guy wants to go. Please let him go. She said, well, if you will protect him and make sure he doesn't do anything strenuous. So when they get down to camp, Orwell says, son, I'm going to show you something. Jesus promised to heal you in his word. And he built the little guy's faith and he prayed for the little guy. And he told him, he said, now you've got to believe. He said, Brother Orwell, I do believe and I know I'm healed, but you know my mother's going to make me keep taking my medicine. He said, I know that. You know, I know that. But he said, just do what your mama says because you have to obey your mama. But believe God. And so he did. And they prayed for him and everything. And then whenever they went into the doctor to have the final check before they cut the heart open and put this new valve in, when they went in there, there was nothing wrong. I mean, when they went in to do the check, the heart was working perfect. After he had prayed for him and the little boy believed, although he continued to take the medicine because his mother... Of course, unfortunately, Mama, you know, she'd been raised up in a good Southern Baptist church. You don't know God's a healer. You know, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I don't If God hadn't started speaking to me and telling me that Jesus, he was a healer, I was a Southern Baptist, I would have never figured it out. I would have never figured it out. Because we don't talk about healing in a Baptist church. We do have a long prayer list every Wednesday night. Long. But do we ever go down to the hospital and pray for somebody in faith? No. We don't hardly ever see anything happen. Whenever I was talking to a man the other day, and I was telling him these things, and he said, if you're such a great man of faith, why don't you just go down to the hospital and clean it out? I said, I've already done that. He said, you have? I said, yes. Five years ago, I went to Cook's Medical Center and I prayed over nine different babies, and all of them were miraculously healed. And I said, and the chaplains throwed me out. The chaplains. I had to get a special permission from the CEO of the hospital to go back to Cook's Medical Center. And then I had another doctor of theology, when I told him about that from the Southwestern Seminary, he said, I mean, I've been to Cook's Medical Center hundreds of times and prayed for people, and the chaplains have never given me any problem down there. <laughs> I said, I never had them give me any trouble either until I started praying in faith. And when they started getting healed, then that's the difference. 
See, now listen to what he's saying right here. Now listen closely. This grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power has given unto us. What? Given unto us what? All things that pertain to what? How much? What did he say there, brother? He has given unto us everything, all things, that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. What did the king give you when he said it is finished? What belongs to you? All things. Through prayer, what can we do, Brother Arville? All things. That's right. When you get a hold of you can pray for people in faith, can't you? Guarantee you can pray for people in faith. But let me tell you something. When these things become a revelation to you, you will get to the point where you won't need to go somewhere and get somebody else to pray for you. You will be praying for people. Now, I do remember, as with the faith Brother Arbel's got, one night the devil put him to sleep driving an 18-wheeler. And I think you were in Florida, wasn't you? And that 18-wheeler had the cruise control set at 70 miles an hour, and the devil put him to sleep, and he ran off the road and way up into the woods and totaled that truck. And whenever they got him out of there and got him on the way to the hospital, I don't know whether he was on the way to the hospital or what, whether he's already in the hospital, but he called me and told me, he said, I have just been in a truck wreck and you've got to pray the prayer of faith for me. I prayed the prayer of faith for him and it wasn't no time he was out of that hospital and come back home. Next day? Next day. Yeah, I wanted him to stay two weeks and he was out the next day and come home. But we had a great praise report. How many of y'all know Gloria, the lady that works for us in the ministry? Anybody know Gloria? Little Gloria came here a few years ago. She heard me on the radio, and she came here and sat under my teaching. And she's got a hold of this, and she's become one of our most powerful prayer warriors. She called me last week, and she said she's been on a six-week sabbatical. She's gone down to uh, Louisiana to win her family to Christ. She said, I was on the way down there, and there was a big piece of tire in the road that had come off of a truck. And she said, I saw it, and I whipped to the right, and the, one of, the guy driving by my left, he whipped to the left, but the guy behind us didn't see it. And he hit it. And when he hit it, it scared him, and he tried to turn too much whatever to correct. Instead of just holding it straight, the guy went sliding sideways, and then she said, all of a sudden... The car, when it completely turned sideways in the road, she said, I watched the car turn over five times going down the road, rolling. Five times right down the interstate. She said, I pulled off and stopped and ran back there. And the other guy stopped too. And all kinds of people began to stop. And this guy was in very, very critical condition. And she said, I am screaming the word of God, praying, rebuking the devil, you know, praying for healing and everything. Said, I prayed for 30 minutes till the ambulance got there. You know, what's everybody else doing? Standing around, oh, this guy's probably dead. The Lord is the Lord screaming the word of God. 
She said, they finally got him out, and instead of putting him in an ambulance, she said, I handed him a business card or whatever with my phone number on it. Call me and give me your praise report. You're healed. Guaranteed God I serve is going to miraculously heal you. Now, she don't know if this guy's a Christian or nothing. But that afternoon, when she's on the way back from wherever she had went that day, that morning, on the way back, coming back across the East Texas, her cell phone rang, and it was that guy. He said, I just want to call and thank you, ma'am. said, I don't know who you are. But he said, I'm going to tell you, by the time I got to that hospital, it wasn't a sore spot or no pain or nothing else. That they checked me, and I am completely released without a single problem. Now, what can, what can God do after me when we pray in faith? See, that's what we can get done, isn't it, Sharon? I mean, by faith, you can do those same things. See, glory to those things. So it's not that you have to be somebody special, but every one of us that are children of God are somebody special. You've got to start seeing yourself as God on your side. And when you see God on your side, you can pray the prayer of faith. And look what he said there. According as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Don't you like that? What's given to you and me? No, no, not just great and precious. Exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might... What? What's that say? That by these... Ex- be partakers of what? Be partakers of what? You might become partakers of the divine nature of God. Now, okay... Now then, so I guess God, I guess He has a headache every morning when He wakes up. You don't think God has no headaches? He ought to have with all of us. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I mean, if I had, to, I had a herd of kids as big as He's got, we all was disobedient and didn't believe Him, that would give me a headache. You all know what I mean, don't you? But it don't bother Him. You don't have a headache. You think God has cancer? No. Absolutely not. You think He has sickness and disease? No. No. You think He has pain? No. If He has none of those things, then He says, because of these exceeding great and precious promises, we can become partakers of His divine nature, then we are designed to walk in divine health. Is that true? Yes. But let me tell you, there's an enemy out there. And that enemy does not want you to walk in divine health. He wants to kill you. Just think about Acts 10.38. Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, and He went about doing good and healing all that was what? Oppressed of who? The devil. the devil. So sickness is satanic oppression. That's clearly laid out right there, right? So if you've got a problem, and this is something that we have a real hard time grasping in the church. 
If you have a problem or a pain or a symptom, you have a problem believing that's the devil. Did you know that? Did you know this gentleman right here, I don't know him, but if a pain were to come up on his arm and start really working in his arm, really, I mean, just really a serious pain, he would probably, if he's, I don't know, he might not, he might be this kind of a man of God. We normally would have a hard time believing that's the devil in there. I'm a child of God. A devil can't be in my body. That's the way I used to think. I mean, you know, when I began to understand that demons could come into us, I went to my Baptist pastors and I said, is it possible for me as a Christian to have a demon? Absolutely not. You couldn't possibly have a demon living in your body. No way. So then I thought, well, I'll go to the doctors of theology and ask them. (coughs) And they told me the same thing. So then I decided to ask the king. Lord, I don't understand this. If you, in this word, you anointed Jesus of Nazareth to go back and kick out these demons and heal all these people, and all these people were sick and afflicted and all this stuff and had all the problems they did with everything, and you cast out demons and you heal the sick, then what is it that's making us sick today if it's not demons? I said, Lord, can I have a demon? He didn't answer me. I kept asking him, Lord, is it possible for me to have a demon? Then one night I'm reading the Word and I'm doing a lookup. Computers are wonderful. You know, if you don't have a computer with a good software package on it, you know, you can go to our website, get you a computer, you go to our website, you can download some of the most wonderful free software that you don't have to buy it or if you want to look at the blue bibles one of the most intensive study guides that's out there and you can go to our website to get the uh, uh, email I mean the website address where it's at or you can just go into our website and click on it and it'll open it up and it's got many many translations everything in the world you could ever want you could never find the bottom of the blue bible the new blue bible they've I forget dozens of men went together and spent two or three years putting all that together to make it work. It's great. But I'm asking the Lord, Lord, is it possible for me to have a demon? Because nobody else tells me. And most people today in church don't believe you can have a demon living in your flesh. Well, I didn't know. So I'm asking the Lord, Lord, is it possible for me as a Christian to have a demon? So, finally one night, I'm doing a lookup on spirits of in the Bible. I look up, I type in the word spirits of enter. How many times is that in there? It was in there hundreds of times. So I'm reading them. Now, it takes hours to do this. It's not something you do in five minutes. So for hours and hours, I've been reading about all the different spirits. I had no idea there were so many spirits of God. There's not just one Spirit of God. There's at least seven. Seven different Spirits of God that are hovered around the throne of grace. And they think, wow, Lord, I don't understand all this. You're so much bigger than I. I can't fathom this. But I'm reading about spirits. Then I'm reading about the Spirit of lying. You know? I mean, all kinds of spirits that are spirits of hell. And so finally I come over to Luke 13, 11. And I read this scripture where the woman that had the spirit of infirmity for 18 years could no wise straighten herself up. 
So she's all bowed over like this. And her flesh. What did the Bible say she had in her body? A spirit of infirmity that had bowed her body over. I'm going to tell you that spirits is what controls our bodies. Now, if they're spirits of God, you're in good shape. If it's spirits of hell, you're not in good shape. Because they're the ones that are going to kill you. But anyway, when I read that, right there that day, that this woman, which had this spirit of infirmity for 18 years in her body, which was bound over and could in no wise straighten herself up, Jesus walked to her and said, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. It says, And the demon left, and the woman could stand up immediately. Whenever we laid hands on Arville and commanded those demons to leave him, he had spirits of infirmity in his wrist, carpal tunnel demons. And when I grabbed to hold his wrist, which both hands was numb, he could not even hardly grip the steering wheel on his truck. I, by faith, commanded them demons to leave. Now, him and his wife had gone out in the parking lot at the break and got their sins repented of. So he's in good shape to receive from God. So when I rebuked those demons and commanded them to come out of his wrist, God instantly delivered him. And from that day to this, seven or eight years ago, he has been able to do, work his hands perfectly normal with no pain. And he could drive that truck or do anything else he wants to do. And he didn't know he had a demon. If he'd have known he had a demon and that he had all power over these demons, guess what he'd have done himself? He'd have kicked them out. But you didn't know that's what they were, did you all? Well, no. I didn't know it either for years. So anyway, here I am now asking the Lord these questions because I'm not getting any results or answers that I want on earth. So I asked the Lord, and when I get in there, the woman had the spirit of infirmity for 18 years. The king spoke to me in an audible voice right there, and he said, Son, you have one of those living in your flesh. Now, if the king speaks to you until you got a demon, you better believe it. Oh, Lord, don't you know I can't have a demon? I mean, that doctor of theology down to seminary told me I couldn't have one. No, I didn't even, I didn't even go there. When Jesus said, You have one of those living in your body. I said, Lord, I have a spirit of infirmity in my body? He said, yes, son. I said, Lord, infirmity means sickness or weakness. And I'm not sick or I'm not weak. So I said, what is it? He said, it's your athlete's foot. I said, athlete's foot is a demon? I mean, the doctor told me it was a fungus. (laughs) I mean, you all know where I'm coming from? How many times have you ever taken a bottle of medicine down for athlete's foot and said, and to get rid of the demon? <laughs> no, it says this will eliminate or help eliminate the fungus, right? Right. Well, the fungus is a demon. So I had doctored this thing for 30 years. I hadn't had it just a little while. I'd had that athlete's foot for 30 plus years. I had doctored it. And, of course, what I, what I would do, I, I was an engineer. I traveled a whole lot. I'd be out of town. And so, of course, I'd have my, I'd doctor my feet up and everything. And then I'd go somewhere and I'd stay in a hotel, take my shoes and socks off. And I'd take a shower in the tub or whatever and then walk in the carpet. And then the next day or two, I'd have an athlete's foot again. And finally, somebody told me, said, well, you know, that athlete's foot's in the carpet. 
you need to wear your socks all the time. I said, oh, okay, so I didn't know no different. So I thought, well, I won't, I'll be careful. You know, I didn't know it was a demon. But after I learned it was a demon, now I don't care. I can go to any hotel I want to, put my socks off. I can roll around the carpet store, bash my toes up in it. I can go in there and walk in the bathtub. You know, I said, you demon alone, you have no power over me in the name of Jesus. You cannot attach yourself to me no longer. But that night when the king told me I had a demon, I didn't argue with him. I just turned and looked at my feet and did what would startle most Baptists. No, just Christians. I turned and I looked at my feet and I said, You demons of hell in the name of Jesus, you foul spirits of infirmity in the name of Jesus, I command you demons to come out of me and go to the pit of hell and don't you ever come back in Jesus' name. I said, Thank you, Lord. It's done. Now, then the average Christian say, Now, you don't really think that's going to work, do you? No, it don't work when you think it's going to work. It only works when you know it's going to work. See, this is where we've missed it. I mean, we're, we are the wishy-washiest bunch of Christians I've ever seen. Here we got this book with all these great promises in it. And we come to God and ask for something. And a lot of us pray. But we don't repent of our sins first. Maybe we've been down at the bar hanging out talking to the girls. On the way home this afternoon, maybe you stopped and bought a few lottery tickets. Uh-oh. Maybe you stopped and gambled a little. God, you didn't tell you to gamble nowhere. So you stop and buy a few lottery tickets and you hand them the fives or the tens or whatever and you tear the deals off or whatever you did. I was in a store the other day and a guy walked in and handed them 15 or $20 and handed him a few little pieces of paper. He tore the deals off and threw them in the trash and walked out. I went up and I said, hey, next time you want to throw away 20 bucks, give it to God and He's going to bless you. You know that? Sure, give it to God. Don't go down and give it to that guy or that woman behind the counter there for a few pieces of paper and 99% of the time you don't ever get nothing back. You leave your money there and you walk out. That's a devil's world. You know, so if you're living like that, don't bother to come to God. You know, you need to straighten your life up and start walking holy and obedience to the Word. You know, Stay in the Word. You know, walk holy. Don't even look at the other girls. If you're a guy, don't, don't stop by the bridge on the way home or the club down there, you know, that you can stop by. One time I was down here in Dallas. Of course, my wife was with me that time years ago, years ago, and his wife was with him. And we'd been down to a meeting in Dallas and on the way home. We are driving down to Harry Hines. He said, let's stop in here and have a drink. Well, I mean, I only drank Cokes, and I don't drink them much anymore. Uh, but anyway, back in those days, I still, I thought that's what he meant. Let's stop here and have a Coke. So we stopped it, and we pulled in front of the place, and I said, I looked at him, I said, you know what this is? He said, yeah, I stop here often when I come down here. I said, this is a club. I said, they got strip dancers in there, says. He said, Yeah. So we go in there. And there's a little girl up there on the stage, strip dancing. And I mean, you know what they have on when they get through strip dancing? Nothing. 
I couldn't believe this guy went in this place. I had his wife. I had my wife. I says, well, I drink a Coke there. I thought, let's get out of this place. You know how uncomfortably miserable a Christian feels in a place of the devil? Yeah, he was perfectly comfortable. He enjoyed it. But guess what? A few years later, I found out him and his wife were divorced. She went her way and he went his. And last time I saw him, he was miserable. It says he's a Christian. Those are jerks once in a while. But he sure ain't producing no fruit for the kingdom of God. You can't live in the devil's world and be happy. You can't do it. I mean, to be a Christian, it's a whole unique way of life. Being a Christian is walking holy in obedience to God's Word, being about the king's business 24-7. Look what he says here. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Did you know once you really start serving God, the lust for the things of the world goes away? You don't have, you don't care. You don't have to have a forty or $50,000 car no longer. You don't have to have a Half a million dollar house. You know, you just got to have a place to lay down and put your head down so that you can rest a little while until you can get up and go serve the king the next day. You don't have to have none of that stuff. It's just stuff. He says there, besides this, giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things be in you, and they abound in you. They make you that you shall neither be barren. You know what that word barren? I got a little word down here in the bottom that says useless. You say that? They either make you idle or useless. Nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, how many of your sins were washed away? All of them? You were made just like you had never sinned before? If you were made just like you've never sinned, then if every time you commit some kind of a sin after that, which we shouldn't, but if we do and we confess that sin, how clean and pure are we when we come before the throne of grace? How clean? Clean. In other words, if you, if you did something wrong 
and you re- immediately repented of it, now the Lord says, you can come to my throne of grace and ask me for anything and I will do it for you. A lot of people don't believe this. Look what verse 10 says. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Are those great and awesome promises? We read this book, but we really don't believe this book. Now then, As children of God, it has to become a reality to you that these promises God made is for you. So you can walk in divine health. In other words, how many of you believe, like I used to believe, that you had to be sick sometimes, or at least be sick to die? Did you used to believe that? I believe that. I used to believe that. I thought everybody, if you'd ask me the question, do you think you'd ever be sick again? I said, well, good grief, I get sick every year. I mean, I have the flu once or twice, you know, or runny nose or whatever. I've had, uh, uh, you know, even, uh, I just name it. You name it, I've had it almost. And I thought, well, I mean, everybody else. I know it's in church has these things too. I mean, you don't come to church one day, you walk in and say, Hey, brother, how are you doing today? So, oh, let me tell you about my problem. <laughs> you ever heard that in church? Have you been guilty of that in church? Let me tell you about my problem. Oh, my arthritis has bothered me this morning. My, my, my headaches, I have this terrible mind. Oh, and my allergies. I, did, I went out and mowed my yard yesterday. My allergies are driving me crazy. You ever heard anything like this? <laughs> It's obvious we don't know the word. See, that's the way I used to talk. But then I learned what Jesus did for me. I don't talk like that no more. Don't talk like that no more. In fact, I don't go down the road saying, I can't grasp the steering wheel no more. I said, but I didn't know nothing else to do, did you, brother? He just knew you couldn't grasp that steering wheel. He had no idea that his sin had opened the door to a demonic spirit and this devil was doing this to him. He had no idea. But he also had no idea that these were spirits living in his body. A demon that could be driven out just like that and be instantly healed. Isn't that something? Now then, because of these great and precious promises as children of God, these things are for you and me. It's ours. See, now I didn't know this for the first 40 years of my life. And so I lived in a lot of sickness and disease. And then, actually about 30, I began to read this book in real, real detail. And I tried to read it just like we're reading it right now. And, and it might take me two hours to read a chapter. Because I may read it 20, 30 times. I'm sitting there looking. To them that have obtained like precious faith. What's he trying to say? 
well, what kind of faith did he have? And then I would find something in the Word about where Peter had great faith. And when he began to tell me what I could do, and especially when I'd read something like this, Now, according as his divine power has given unto me, Thurman Scrivener, all things that pertain to life and godliness. I personalize the Word. It says there, has given unto us. But you could put your name right there, couldn't you? Yes. Yes, sir. Put your name there. When you put your name there, it be, you begin to claim these promises personally to you. And when you begin to claim these promises personally, you can do just like when I prayed for Orville. The Lord delivered him and set him free. Just like I prayed for Cheryl when the Lord healed her. Gosh, I prayed for her so many times since in the last few years. I mean, I can. you think about Sharon being a basket case. <laughs> if my honey buddy hadn't had me to pray over her in the last couple of years, she'd really be a basket case. Yeah. I mean, it's just like whenever that time when those little lumps begin to come up right up here on her breast. Now, did she panic? What does most women do when a lump appears on your breast? Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Breast cancer. That's the first thing that comes out. Oh, call your sister or your aunt or your mama or your one of your friends. Come over here and look at this thing. These things, these lumps just come up on my breast. What do you think that is? It looks like cancer. What comes out of our mouths? That's just like that woman. I walked up to into a house here a while back. A woman had a big old thing right there on her nose. I walked and I said, what is that? Well, she said, I'm going to the doctor third and have it taken off. I said, what do, you, what do you mean? She said, well, I went last week and they diagnosed it as a little cancer. I walked up to her and I put my finger on her and I said, you devil of hell. In the name of Jesus, I curse you, command you to come out in the name of Jesus. Before Thursday, when she was going to go to the doctor, it was completely gone. She went ahead and went to the doctor and let him look. He says, where'd that thing go? When you learn that's a devil, when you learn that's a devil that's attacking mine and your flesh as Christians, and when you learn what Jesus did to that devil 2,000 years ago, you will never sweat sickness and disease again. So just like Cheryl, when those little lumps come up on her breast, she said, honey, get in here. I said, well, she said, look at this. I said, no, no, just a devil. She said, I know that. I said, you've got to get rid of him for me. Well, see, I'm the priest in the home, and she knows that. She said, drive that devil out of me. So we did, and of course, he left. And they went away. Now then, I want you to go to 1 John 3, 8. In fact, let's just, let's just start with verse 1 of that 1 John 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. 
Think about this now. What kind of love does he have that he would take a bunch of unworthy, wicked critters like us and let us be called sons and daughters of God? I mean, I'm a little more particular who I bring into my house as sons and daughters. But just think, God reset and took all of us unworthy, wicked critters and made us sons of God. He must really want children bad. you know it? <laughs> really. What a blessing, huh? What a blessing. Behold, what manner of love. I mean, it's got to be some kind of love to create an old wicked girl like Goes to church. She was a Methodist lady. And when I walk in, here's this big old thing on her nose. What is that? Well, I went to the doctor and it's a cancer, but I'm going next week and Thursday next week they're going to take it off. Now, wait a minute. That's a devil. I want to show you before we get through here how much power we got over this devil. You will never be concerned again. If you get what I'm going to teach you today, anytime the devil comes upon you, he puts a sickness or a, a feeling or a pain or anything, you will never. Go to a doctor again. You won't never start complaining. You'll just get a hold of that devil with the Word of God and you'll wrap him around your head and you'll sling him out the window with the Word of God. You'll do it. Look what he says. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. That's daughters too. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know. We know. That when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. We shall see Him as He is, the King of kings. And every man that hath this hope in Him, that's got to be a misprint. What does it say you're supposed to do if you have this hope in you? What does it say? What does that say? You got your Bible open? Look at it. Get your Bible out. If you don't have a Bible, you look on with somebody else. You need to know I'm telling you the truth. What does that say you'll do? It says you'll do what? Okay, so... I'm going to bring one of these bottles of water up here. How many of y'all believe this water is pure? It's supposed to be. I'm going to tell you all, we took that out of a thousand gallon vat back there that had been cleaned and purified and all that stuff and put all that water in it. And then after we got all the water drawn up, at the very bottom of the strainer, I found one little dead mouse. Oh. <laughs> now, how many of y'all going to drink the water? <laughs> No, I'm telling you a story. I'm not telling you the truth. But you have no idea what you eat and drink that have that kind of stuff all the time. You know that, brother? Yeah, that's right. When you eat and drink food and drink out of those stores, you have no idea how impure some of that stuff is. And that little dead mouse might have been minor compared to what you might really have seen. Y'all know where I'm coming from, don't you? What's that old cliche? What you don't know don't hurt you? <laughs> It'll kill you, won't it, brother? 
it don't, it, what you don't, don't want you, it'll kill you. That's for sure. Now then, when the Lord says we're supposed to pray over everything we eat or drink, when you begin to understand this, you will start praying over everything you eat and drink. Especially when you realize it makes such a tremendous difference. Such a tremendous difference. Now he says here, Every man that has this hope in him purifies himself. Purifies himself. So how pure do you think that is? So we got a thousand gallon vat of water. That'll make a lot of bottles of water, won't it? We'll only drop one little dead mouse in that water. Only one. He couldn't contaminate the whole thing, could he? I will say one thing. I bet you, especially women, there's not a woman I know, Harley, that if you, if I were to tell them there was just one little teeny dead mouse in that water, in that thousand gallon vat of water, it wouldn't let them drink it. They'd starve to death for the drink of drink of that water. <laughs> Oh, goodness. I get tickled, you know, about food. You know, the, some kind of food gets a little bit stale. And somebody looks at it and says, throw that away. I said, no, that's still good. You don't have to throw that away. Yeah, I mean, dust it off a little bit, sure. You know. <laughs> There's a man he associates with me. Me and him did the same place. I saw him dust it off, dropped it on the ground. No big deal. Pick it up, dust it off a little bit, eat it. Right? I mean, you know, I'm hungry, you know. I mean, a little bit of dirt will help you. I mean, when you were a kid, did your kids eat dirt? Yeah. Oh, sure, your kids were all out there and they're eating the dirt and everything. It didn't kill them. No. You know, your body will do a lot of things. But the Lord tells us here, we are to purify ourselves from everything that pertains to the world. So, does that mean what it says? We purify ourselves from the world? So how much of the world should we have in us? None. Purify. We don't understand what it means to purify yourself. Well, I'm just going to buy a lottery ticket today. Just once a month or once a week. That's not purifying yourself in the world. No, that's not pure. That's contaminating yourself with the world. Well, I'm just going to listen to one uh, rock and roll uh, show on the way to work. Or I'm just going to listen to one country and western show every morning when I go to work. No, that's not purifying yourself in the world. Those songs that they sing do not purify you. They contaminate you. Those words and those songs are contaminating you think about rock and roll today. A man sent me some words here a while back. That was the actual words. They, they sing one of these songs. I had ones on a CD. He said, what do you think about those words? I said, words? That's words? I didn't understand the thing they said. I heard a lot of screaming, but I didn't hear no words. He said, let me copy those words off for you and let you read those. And when he brought me a piece of I said, that couldn't be what they were saying. He said, that's what they were saying. I'd never seen such vulgar and nasty words in my life. And he said, all oh, the kids that listen to him, they know what he's saying. I thought, you mean they sing that kind of stuff? They're not purifying themselves, are they? 
Now, and that's why they commit suicide. That's why they die early. That's why they're sick. Because they're living in the devil's world. When you live in the devil's world, this is what you need to get the picture you need to get. As you walk through the world, there's a little straight and narrow path that you can walk on that's free of all sickness and disease. But if you don't walk on that straight and narrow path, you're going to step off out to the side. When you step out here to the side, this, like in this room, if I had a path that was only, say, three feet high, I could step up about this high and I could walk a pathway that was two foot wide all the way to the back. I wouldn't be too concerned about falling off of this thing three feet high unless I knew that crawling all over the floor was a bunch of big rattlesnakes. Now then, if I knew there was a bunch of big rattlesnakes crawling around on the floor, and I'm walking across there, and I'm looking down, and they're everywhere down there, and it would be impossible for me to fall off of this thing without stepping on one of those things. I would be very careful about crossing this path. I would keep my eyes on the path. Well, that's the pathway that we're walking as sons and daughters of God. He said to purify yourself from the world. Now, if you step off this pathway into the world, guess what's going to bite you? One of those demons. One of those snakes. They're called serpents and scorpions. They're going to bite you. And they're going to make you sick. Every man, verse 3, and every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. How pure was the Lord? How pure was he? Did he have any sin? No. So we're supposed to purify ourselves like he was pure, right? What a goal. What a goal. Verse 4. Whosoever commits a sin transgresses the law. What, the law? I thought we wasn't under the law. Anybody ever heard that? We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. What do you say? Whoever commits sin transgresses the law. For sin is a transgression of the law. So when you're sinning, does that put you back under the law? It sure does. Isn't that amazing? Puts you back under the law. You know, I didn't understand this. I read this and read this for years. I did not understand this until one day I looked at it like this. Grace is something you don't deserve. Is that right? Okay, so let's say that I've decided I want to buy me a car. And the state says, okay, if you've got the money, we'll give you the grace to go buy you a car. So I buy me a car. But they say, just because I go buy me a car, can I drive it? Can I technically drive it? No. What do I have to have before I can drive that car on the highway? A driver's license. That means I probably got to go to school and pass a test. Now I got to go down there and pass the test, and then they want to know if I can see. Of all things, I got. Oh, and then you got to have insurance, and this costs money. But I don't need insurance if you. 
And then you've got to have it inspected. And then what? Anything else? I mean, you have to have all these. And then if you meet all this criteria, now they give you grace. Okay, now you can drive, right? But you still got to drive within the confines of the speed limit, right? If you don't, You've transgressed the law. You fell from grace. And what can that police officer do to you when you speed? Give you a ticket. And he can stop you and do it to you too. Or if he sees your inspection sticker is out of date. You've fell from grace, haven't you? He stopped you and give you a ticket for that. I mean, that's exactly the way the Word of God is. He says, if we... Commit sin. Sin is the transgression of the law. For we know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. Who's He talking about there? Jesus. Jesus. That's absolutely right. Verse 6. Whosoever abideth in Him, if you abide in Him, what does he say you don't do? What did he say? Wait a minute. If you abide in him, you sinneth not. What does it mean to abide in the king? Let me ask you this question. I want you all to be honest with me. How many of you think it is possible for you to walk through a day and not sin? Not one time. You think it's possible? I got a few here that believe they can do it. I believe I can do it. You know what we should all get to the point where we can believe? We can walk through every day of our life and not sin. That's right. That's what we need we need to start thinking like that. Because if we abide in him, what did the king say we would not do, brother? He said we wouldn't sin, didn't he? So if we're seeing ourselves as sinners, then we're obviously not abiding in Him. Is that true? Now then, if you're abiding in Him and in the Word, you won't sin and you'll walk in divine health. But if you don't even think, if I walk up to you and say, you believe it's possible for you to go through this day and not sin? You say, oh no, we're just a bunch of unworthy sinners saved by grace. You know what you just did to the king? You just slapped him in the face. What would you feel, brother, if somebody walked up to you and you told them that they could do something and they just turned around and slapped you right in the face? Would that make you happy? It wouldn't me. How about you? You don't like to be slapped in the face either, do you? I just made somebody happy. Oh, goodness. Whosoever committed sin transgress the law... Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither knows him. I mean, you know, this book is kind of hard, isn't it? If you're sinning and you're walking in sin, do you know the Lord? He says you don't. But you see people all the time say, I know God. In fact, I was talking to a man the other morning. I said, do you know the Lord? Oh, yeah, I talk to him every day. I said, well, how much time you spend in the Word? Oh, he said, I never read the book. I said, well, how do you know God? Oh, he said, I just know Him. 
I said, would you tell me a little bit about your life? You married? Well, yeah. How many kids you got? Well, by my first wife, I got three. Well, where's she at? Well, she's living over here. So, you, you married again? No, not married again. But I got tired of her, so I left her and went and moved in with another woman. And I got one baby with her. You still married to the first one? Oh, yeah, I'm still married to the first one. And I got a baby by the second one, I live with her. And you're telling me you know God? You don't have a clue who He is. Not a clue. Not a clue. Anybody that does that? No. Are they living in sin? Absolutely. What the Word say? You purify yourself from all these evil things. If you know God, and you was that man, you don't marry a woman and have three babies, then run off and leave her and leave her at home within three kids to fend for herself and go out and move in with another one and have a baby with another one. That's not a godly man. A godly man provides for his children and his wife. He makes a commitment. He stays with her forever. He made a covenant with her. You stay with her. Now, then why could this guy say he knows God and not... We have this little problem every once in a while with the mic. I don't know what's causing this problem, but we're going to get this fixed. But we find out what... I do this once in a while just to find out what kind of faith people y'all are. Come in. Praise God. I know that one day I was sitting there. I went to a movie with Cheryl. Some of you girls probably just like she was. And it was a worldly movie about demons. And they had some ghastly looking critters in there, I will have to say. What was the name of that movie, honey? You remember? Constantine. Constantine. Anybody see that movie, Constantine? No. You did? Well, we heard it was about demons, so we thought, well, I'll go see what Hollywood has to say about demons. So we went up there, we're sitting there, and I'm sitting there holding Cheryl's hand. And you know, this uh, guy does something, and all of a sudden, you know how they come around the corner, and bam, there's one of them demons. I mean, he jumps out, and of course, she just, <gasps> you know, grips me. I said, what are, you, what are you afraid of? She said, well, how are you so solid? I said, just a movie. You know, just a movie. You know, I mean, but I wouldn't be any more afraid if the devil jumped out right here. You know, if I looked up that door and there that bee stood right there where Ty is standing right now, I wouldn't be any more afraid, would we, Ty? No, not now, because we know who the devil is. But now that wasn't the case the first time I saw a demon. The first time a demon manifests in a human being, I wanted to make a doorway in the side of the house somewhere. <laughs> you too, I'm sure. I remember, I remember John Hagee telling the story about how he was a third or fourth generation Pentecostal preacher. And he'd been to Pentecostal seminary. And they're supposed to teach you this stuff. But he said, I had my church down in San Antonio and I was going strong and all this kind of stuff. And he said, things were going good. And said, all of a sudden, a lady called me one day and she says, uh, Brother Hagee, would you come by my house? He said, well, who are you? And she said, well, I'm Mrs. So-and-so. I need you to come by my house. She said, well, what's wrong with you? She said, I believe I have a demon. <laughs> he said, are you a member of my church? <laughs> 
She said, no. He said, oh, thank goodness. Nobody in my church could have a demon. So he didn't understand them either. So anyway, I went by this woman's house. And he said, I got in there and I walked in. It's such a big, beautiful home. You know, upper level people. I walked in and I said, ma'am, how can I help you? She said, well, I've been getting involved with some tarot cards and Ouija boards. And said, the other day while I was dealing with one of these things, I heard something walking down the hallway and come in to my room. He said, well, who was it? She said, I don't know. I couldn't see anything. He said, you couldn't see nothing? Do you have your eyes open? She said, yes. And said, then it came in and it entered me. He said, how do you know this thing entered you? She said, because after it entered me, I had the most vulgar thoughts that I've ever had in my life. I never had these kind of thoughts before. He said, ma'am, you tell me you think a demon entered you? She said, well, something did. He said, well, okay. So he gets his Bible out and he starts reading, kind of like me and Ty when we got this first experience. Gets his Bible out and he starts reading a little bit about the power of God's given us over demons. And said, the next thing he noticed, this woman is beginning to contort and turn into a snake. Her legs are twisting, her arms are twisting. She began to slither up and into the floor. And he thought, I thought, ma'am, where do you want a back door in this house? Because I'm fixing to make one. <laughs> you know what he means. We've been there and done that. He said, I'm going to make one about three feet wide, about five foot tall. Because <laughs> that's about how big he is. But he said, I didn't know what to do. So he said, I just kept reading the word and said, before it was over, that woman was delivered from that demon just from God's word. Well, the first time I went through a deliverance, the same thing. A demon manifest in a man scared my socks off. I had no idea who I was and what I could do in the name of Jesus. And just the word of God, after I'd read four or five chapters of the book of John, the Lord delivered this man from my first demon. But when you turn and look at a man... You know, and he looks just like you normal. Ain't nothing wrong. You start reading the Bible, and you read about a half a chapter. You turn looking, and you look, and his eyes are that big around, and they're green, and they're glassy. And his fa- his face is all, you know. You think, what is wrong with this guy? Uh oh, uh oh, we got a cell phone up here. We got to turn off. Yep. So anyway, the thing about it is I didn't know who demons were and I didn't know my power over one. But by the time I get to this Methodist lady with the thing on her nose, I know that thing's a demon. And I know how much power Jesus has given me over it. So I walked up and pinched her on her nose and said, You devil or hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And the devil left. The cancer went right away. But that's the way we do things now. Now we know who the devil is. Because as we continue to read here, we find out that if we're God's children, we abide in Him, we do not sin. Is that what he said? Then he says, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. So if we're doing righteousness, we're just as righteous as the king, right? It says, He that committeth sin... Is of the devil. So if you're out committing sin, who's your boss? The devil. Sure. You're going out there lying, stealing, cheating, committing adultery, whatever you're doing. 
you're serving the devil. Now, you may call yourself a Christian, but this will bring sickness and disease to your body, and it will kill you. How many people do you know in the church today that from the time they got saved, like me when I was 11, if I had had somebody to teach me these principles just like they're written, I would have been an entirely different man. Entirely different man. But I had the book. But I was totally involved in the world. I didn't know these things. And when I read these things, I didn't believe them. I mean, I used to read this, but I thought, this couldn't be for me. It couldn't possibly be. Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteous is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. And for this purpose, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Wait a minute. Jesus come to destroy the works of the devil? You think he did it? Yes. And why does it appear that the devil's running everything today then? Because we don't know who we are. Let's turn back a few pages to Hebrews. Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood... He, Jesus, also himself, likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now, if you're a son of God, or daughter of God, That scripture just told you that by dying on that cross, Jesus destroyed him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Did he say that? Yes. Do you believe he meant that? Yes. Okay, if Jesus, if Jesus did that, then the devil is defeated. He has no power. I want you to go to Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 13. And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and tuck it away, nailing it to his cross. What is he talking about? He took away there and nailed it to the cross. What is he literally talking about? The law. He was taking away the law and nailing it to the cross. Now then, if you and I are willing to walk and purify ourselves 
and walk holy before God, you won't sin. Is that what he said, young lady? If you don't sin, you don't transgress the law, right? So you can get in that car you've got that you just bought, and you've got the insurance, you've got the inspection sticker, you've got a driver's license, you've got everything you need on that car. As long as you don't speed, where can you go in that car? Anywhere you want to go. As long as you don't fall from grace by transgressing the law, you can drive that car anywhere and everywhere, and you won't never get a ticket. Nobody will ever bother you, will they? You'll never have a problem with that car. But one day you get in a hurry and drive, decide you've got to get somewhere in a hurry, and you've got to drive 90 instead of 70. If there happens to be a police officer out there, what's he going to do to you? Give you an expensive ticket. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's the way it is. Like the, the very first Sunday that Cheryl come to church with me out at Justin, she's not a morning person. But I always had a morning Bible study out at Justin. And it started at 9.30. Well, she was going to come out and get there and go to Bible study with me. So it came about time for her to be there, and she wasn't there. And all of a sudden, my phone rang, and she said, uh, Hi, honey, uh, I'm probably going to be a little late. Won't you go on without me? I said, What do you mean? She said, I've just been stopped by a police officer over here in Roanoke. I said, Let me tell you how not to get stopped. <laughs> that wasn't exactly what she wanted to hear at this point. She started crying. <laughs> See, us as guys, we see, see things a little different than you females do. She needed a little love and compassion right there, not my telling her, hey, I could tell you how not to get a ticket. Don't speed. <laughs> I mean, but you know, like the other day, us guys were all talking about some stuff. Like that. We're just getting with each other. We're talking to each other. Hey, you know, what about this? And the girl said, what are you guys screaming at each other for? Hey, we're not screaming at each other. We're just talking. But you raise your voice a little bit to the girls. And you're screaming at them. Is that right? Girls do things different than boys. Well, when it comes to the kingdom of God, it makes no difference whether you're male or female. You break the rules, you get stopped. And that's a demon. And that's what happens when you transgress the law... But the law has been nailed to the cross. Right. How do you keep it nailed to the cross? By walking in grace. When you walk in grace, you purify yourself. Like I said a while ago, if I had a thousand gallons that, and I was pulling up all that water, and when I got through, the whole that girl, a thousand gallons of water, and no telling how many hundreds of these bottles... And they all look just as clean and clear as that one does right there. But if I told you that I just drew up a thousand or five thousand bottles of water, and when I got through, I found one little teeny dead mouse in the bottom, there ain't nobody going to drink none of that water. Is that right? Because it's not pure. It only had one little teeny mouse that big. That's all. Or if somebody said, well, you know, I probably, it probably wouldn't hurt these people. I just pour one little container about this big and a thousand gallons of arsenic in that water. Nobody would drink that water, but it wouldn't hurt you. 
It's such a tiny little portion of that in there. But probably nobody would drink it if you knew I'd poured a vial of arsenic in that water, would you? No, you wouldn't. Of course you wouldn't. Well, if God says to purify ourselves, does He want us to have just a little bit of sin? No. I mean, it won't hurt for me to watch this one secular television show at night, just the news. The news is all good stuff, right? Not really. Not really. All bad stuff. Somebody says you're getting too particular with this stuff. You know, I read a story one time about a man that was, the, was one of the most awesome men of God that there ever was, that walked in divine health, that walked 87 years on this earth. He never read a book except this book in his entire life. He learned to read this book. This is the only book he ever read. He never read a newspaper, not one. In fact, a man of God that I knew, in fact, I was on his television show up in the north one time a few years ago before he died. He said, when I was a young man in England, I was about 20 years old, and I walked up to this man of God's house, and when I walked up, he told me to come see him, so he said, I was about 20, I walked up and knocked on his door, and when he opened the door, he jumped out at me and began to scream, lies, lies, lies. I jumped back. He said, you can come in, but that thing under your arm is lies. It can't come in. He said, sir, it's just a newspaper. He said, I know what it is. You can come out, but that thing can't come in my house. So he left the newspaper on the porch and he went inside. And he said, the man I walked in the door, said, when I walked in, the man grabbed me and said, God, bless him. Bless him, bless him, God, bless him. He said, after about 30 minutes, I thought, this old man's lost his mind. He said, after he got through, about 30 minutes later, he took his hand on me and said, you've had all you can stand today, son, you can go. Wow, what a visit. He said, I got about two blocks down the street, and all of a sudden the power of God hit me, and he said, I've never been the same. And that man was Lester Summerall. Anybody know Lester Summerall? He was a great man of God, wasn't he? But the man that trained him was Smith Wigglesworth. He was the one that wouldn't allow a newspaper in his house. He never read a book except this book. He would not listen to anything. When, when radio come on, he wouldn't listen to the radio. You know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't watch nothing. I mean, I guess television was not even, he died in 1947, so I don't know if TV was even there where he could see it. But this man purified himself from the world. Is it hard to do? Yes, it is. But be, I don't know what's doing back there or what's happening, but we need to, I don't know what, what's causing that problem. But uh, are you moving anything back there, Dave, or moving a wire or anything, or is that just the mic doing that? Do we know? Don't know? Anyway, I don't know what's causing that problem. It's getting to be a little bit more pronounced all the time. So one of these days I'm going to have to... I tried another mic today, but it wouldn't work, so I don't know what the deal is. But anyway, when the, when the Word of God says we, as children of God, are to purify ourselves from the world, He means that. But we don't walk pure. It is so easy to not walk pure before God. We need to make a point to purify ourselves from the world. You know, I mean, I I turned off the television years ago. I turned off the uh, radio. I mean, I don't listen to a radio unless I'm listening to the Bible on tape or 
or something, uh, teachings about the Word of God. I don't watch the television at all unless I'm watching a DVD or something like that about the Word. But I don't watch it. Now, once in a great while, if there's something really major going on in the world, I may go to somewhere to where they have the satellite and I might watch a little CNN news if something big is happening, like a big earthquake or something. I may go watch a few minutes of that. But other than that, I don't watch television. But Smith Wigglesworth, he walked in such a great power since he purified himself and he walked wholly in obedience to God's Word. I can think of a man that wrote a book about Smith. He said, an afternoon with Smith, you would never be the same. He said, I took a woman up to one of his meetings. He was on the fourth floor. This woman was so crippled with arthritis, she could barely walk. He said, I took her up, and it took him like two or three hours to get up all those flights of stairs to the fourth floor because this woman was so crippled. He said, whenever I walked in, Smith looked over and saw her. He walked over and put his hands on her and said, You demon of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. He said, That woman's body began to snap, crack, and pop. And said, That woman began to run around that place. And she's praising God. And said, In ten seconds, she's all the way back down to the first floor, running and screaming, God is awesome. Now, there's a man that knew who he was in Christ. Now, if he could do that, and God is no respecter person, that's available to you and me. But we've not paid the price. We're going to. Amen. We're going to pay the price. When he says purify ourselves, then he says there, after he's nailed the uh, law to the cross, in verse 15, he says, and having spoiled principalities and powers. You know what that means? You know what the word spoiled means? It means disarmed. He disarmed the devil and his demons, principalities and powers. If he disarmed the principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in the cross. If he triumphed, what does it mean to be the triumphant one? Are you the winner or are you the loser? You're the winner. So if our king triumphed over the devil, completely, totally triumphed over the devil, and completely disarmed the devil, and completely defeated him who had the power of death, that is the devil, then how much power does the devil have left? So why should we as Christians be afraid of the devil? Why should we be afraid of him? One last scripture. We're going to take a break. But one last scripture. You go to Luke chapter 10. Now, if you get a hold of this scripture, it took me an, almost a lifetime to get a hold of this scripture. But when I did, and when this became a revelation to me, I have never allowed a demon of pain or sickness and disease ever to lock onto my body and stay there more than a few hours since this. Here's what we missed. Just like Judy that day. I am trusting Jesus to heal me. I said, no. Jesus is not going to heal you. He's already healed you. And He's given you power over the devil. 
And he's made you the caretaker of this piece of flesh. And when you take his word and you drive them demons of hell out of that flesh, this piece of flesh will become well. Just like Arvel's arms. How many years did, were you troubled with that, Arvel? How many years did you have that carpal tunnel? About ten years. Here is a man of God that served God in a church. Loved the Lord with all his heart. Went to church every time the door was open. Worked in all kinds of departments. RA leader. Loved kids. Everything else. But he's got two demons in his arms. And he can't. And he's and, and for ten years. And now that he's finally hurting so bad, he's scheduled for surgery. Why? Because he don't know who the devil is. Didn't have a clue. He'd never seen nobody go into Baptist church and drive, reach up and grab somebody's wrist and command a demon to come out and to get healed. Never seen that in your life, had you, Arnold? But after that day in that little Baptist church over there in Hearst that day, you became a different man, didn't you? Amen. But whenever he had had that problem for ten years, and then he met up one man of faith. Now, the church ought to be full of men of faith. Greed? Any of us should be able to do the same thing. Because look what this scripture says in Luke 10. Look at this. When this becomes a revelation to you. Luke chapter 10. Verse 19. Behold. And who's speaking here by the way? This is our king. Of course the whole word is his the Bible is his words, but this one he's actually talking. Behold, I, Jesus, give unto you power or authority to tread on the devil and his demons. Now, if the king gives you power, the king gives you power to tread on the devil and the serpent and his scorpions. If He's given you that power, how much more authority do you need? I mean, if the King has given you and me power and authority over the devil. Now, He came and whipped him. Just like little Judy. She said, I'm trusting Jesus to heal me. I said, He ain't going to heal you. He's already healed you. I said, I'm going to show you today this devil that's killing your flesh is a demon of hell. And I'm going to show you where this beast has been defeated by our king. And he's given you all power and authority to drive this devil out. Behold, I give unto you power or authority to... What? To tread on. What does it mean to tread on him? Hey, yeah, put him under your feet and mash him. I give unto you power to tread on the devil and his demons and over how much of the power of the enemy? So how much power does the devil have left? So why are we afraid of the devil? I got tickled at him after here a while back whenever, I mean, a long time, years ago, whenever he got to see his first demon. And when he was so, you know, he just like me, he didn't know what to do. And the other day, him and his wife praised this prayer. Lord, 
We haven't seen a demon manifest in church for a long time. We need to see some manifestations. <laughs> Would you let a demon manifest today? Now, I didn't know he had prayed that. And so I didn't pray counter that. And a little woman come up here and I said, what's wrong with you? Well, I don't know. I just I don't feel good. I have this problem. And I said, it's just a devil. I said, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And when I did, ooh. She went wild, didn't she, Ty? Yeah, she, after, I mean, she's screaming, and of course there are 30 or 40 people in here that were still here, and everybody done a, you know, jump back, you know, boy, this little girl, she's screaming, and she's doing all kinds of stuff. Well, it only took three of us to hold her down. But we drove them devils out of her and got her set free. Because we now know we have how much power? How much power do you have over the devil? How much do you have over you? None. None. If this scripture is true, over all the power of the enemy and nothing, meditate on these words now, nothing shall by any means hurt you. You think the Lord wants you to be hurt as His Son? No. That's why He gave you this book and gave you His Word. He set you free, didn't He? He signed your Emancipation Proclamation 2,000 years ago and gave it to you. And He didn't care what color we were, did He? Amen. Just like I've said it many a time. I've sat with a mini, a black man in an office building, and I would sit there and talk to him. I say, you know, it's amazing that you guys had the freedom to do everything you do today, but for a hundred years a black man lived way below the level he should have lived. For the simple reason, because y'all didn't take the written law of the land and take it by force with it is written. Did Martin Luther go to war with anybody? No, the war had already been fought. The signatures had already been placed, and you were free. But you didn't take the written laws and demand your rights. You had, Martin Luther had to demand. What belonged to them? Right? And now then, since they did that, of course, this, you know, this people didn't want him to be free. And he was killed. It cost him his life because he did that. But let me tell you, today, as Christians, the Emancipation Proclamation has been signed and all power over the devil has been given to you and me. All of it. And the devil shall in no wise hurt us. So when the devil tries to come upon us, what are we going to have to do? We're going to have to make sure you're giving no place to the devil through sin. If you're living in some kind of sin, you're transgressing the law. And how much legal right does a police officer have to you when you break the law? Now he can just do what he wants. Take you to jail. I mean, if he catches you out there driving 70 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour, or 50 miles an hour, and he stops you and you're having a few beers and... You're not too, you get out and you say, oh, I'm okay. <laughs> you know what he's going to do? Yeah, he's going to pat you on the back and say, yeah, sure, just get back in that car. No, he's going to put you in his car, handcuffs you and take you down to the little paddy wagon down at the house, right? Lock you up. Now then, if you didn't drink and you didn't speed, you would have to, you would never got stopped. If you don't break the law of God... You don't never have to be concerned about the demons of hell. When they come to you and put a pain or symptom upon you, you just tell them where to go. Oh, they'll come by once in a while. 
That's the only thing difference that I've noticed about the police department and the demon police department. I have never had a police officer yet drive up beside me and say, Hey, come on, let's go for a race. I said, Are you kidding? No, let's see which one of our cars are the fastest. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, I mean, I got a hot rod back in the days when I had one. You kidding me? No, let's go for a race. Whoa. We go ripping down through there. I get past the speed limit. He waits I get to about 90. He turns his blinkers on, all this flashing lights and pull over kid. Have you ever seen a police officer do that? Nope. Well, let me tell you what the demons of hell will do. They will entice you to sin. They will entice you to sin. And when you sin, they'll say, Oh, you broke the law. Oh, you dummy, you, you've followed what I told you instead of what God says. And these beasts will do this to you. And then they will definitely call you a dummy. Because we don't, you know, whenever the devil comes up and says, just come on over here and sin a little with me. What do you need to tell him? I am a son of God. You get out of my life. I don't go there. I am purifying myself and keeping myself clean and pure and holy. Get out, devil, in the name of Jesus. When that devil comes and puts a pain or a symptom upon you, you need to make sure that every sin's repented of. You're walking in obedience to God's word, and then you just command that devil to leave. Somebody says, "Well, I commanded him to leave, and he didn't leave." Well, you didn't stay with it long enough. How much power did God give you over the devil? What is it we don't understand about all? As sons of God, I mean, if that devil stays on there and hooked, can, stays with you and says, "I'm not turning you loose." You say, oh yeah, you are. In fact, Dave Rosenfeld's testimony is the longest one I've seen. A year and a half, he had to fight that battle. I mean, and he got so bad. Now, this is where we really miss it. You enjoy being healthy and well, don't you, young lady? Don't you enjoy that? I do. Then you start standing on God's Word, and the symptoms come, and you get twice as bad as you ever were. Tomorrow you wake up and there's pain or sickness or now this big cancer is beginning to break out on your arm and it's weeping and oozing. Somebody says, you know, i got a doctor down in Dallas. i got a lot of faith in you. You go see him. Mm-hmm. Well, if you go down to that doctor down there, you, number one, you've not believed God. And that's hard. I guarantee that's hard. It's just like the time that the devil broke that deal out on my leg. I mean, whenever he, that devil tries that with me every once in a while, when Ty, I called him told him, I said, I've got to have another prayer warrior. I called Eldon, two great men of God. They both came out to see me. Ty looked at my leg. He said, if Thurman, if you wasn't such a man of faith, I'd have you down to that hospital for surgery right now. But he said, I know you're not going. I said, that's right. I'm not going. And we beat that devil. Through prayer. But when you look at your leg or your body, that night when I pulled my bridge's leg up, I felt a tingling and a fire in my leg. And I pulled my bridge's leg up, pulled my sock down, and my whole leg was blood red. Big, bloody, blister-looking things, which looked like if you touched it, it would just start bleeding. Now, how many of you are willing to say, oh, Devil, that's just an attack from you. Get out in the name of Jesus. Put your sock, your boot back on, go back to work. 
That's the difference between somebody that really believes the word and somebody that don't. Now then, if you really believe the word, when you grab a hold of somebody that's got corporal tunnel demons and you rebuke them, command them to leave, what do they have to do, Orville? They're out of here. Ten years he had virtually no feeling in his hands. Ten years. And then in an instant, at a command of God's word, he was healed. And I couldn't even tell you how many people he's prayed for since that time. Because he's not a normal man of faith anymore. That put him in a whole new world. He saw God's word work. It's like Sharon. She saw God's word work. My Cheryl. She saw God's word work. All of you that have saw God's word work, you ain't never going to be the same. Never going to be the same. So when the devil tries to attack you and put something on you, you're not going to let him do it to you no more. Now then, right now, just, we're going to take a break. Before we take this break, we're going to take an offering for our ministry. We do this at... Did we bring the stuff? No. We did, okay, forget that. Sorry, we didn't bring the little deals. I'll, I'll tell you what. As you leave today or whatever, the donation box is over there since we forgot to bring the little offering bucket things. We'll just let you, if you want to give, when you leave or whatever, put your money in that deal over there. If you want to give to the ministry, if you want a donation, if you give cash, you'll need to put it in an envelope so I can send you a receipt. If you give a check, well, you don't need that. But you don't have to give anything. You know, just whatever you want to do. It's a, all the media back there is free. You can take everything you want. We're going to take about a 15 or 20 minute break, whatever it takes. And the two bathrooms are right here. You can, it says men and women, but if there ain't nobody in the other one, just, you know, use them. That's it. We're going to take a 20 minute or 30 minute break, whatever it takes. Then we're going to come back and we're going to really hit some things this afternoon about healing is really yours. We've talked about power over the devil this first part, and we'll get that. So, Father, in Jesus' name, bless these people as they go forth from here, and Lord, Bring them back for the second half in 30 minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, right there is the bathrooms and everything. You can... Well, praise the Lord. Oh. Did you find out what it was? No, I think it's a loose cord, but... They're not. I'm like, guys, I got on the wrong bus ended up you will learn that you... That's what the Lord said. Why do you think the Lord said, let the weak say they are strong? Why did He say, let the poor say they are rich? Why did He say those things? Because He knew the power of your confession. He knew how He had made us and He had known that this... Like a while ago when we read there, I mean... It says these exceeding great and precious promises that by these you can become partakers of the divine nature of God. Not only can you become the partaker of divine nature, but by faith you can speak God's word and see people miraculously healed and set free. Now, when you the power of your confession, two of the most powerful things that I've seen the Lord do instantaneously was just a few months ago, one of them, when Dr. Gary Young called a doctor, and he called on Sunday night, and he, I didn't know that on Tuesday of that week he had fell out of a tree 35 feet up and broke his back. 35 feet up in the air. You know, that's way up there. Well, he called me on Sunday night about 10 o'clock, 
and wanted me to pray the prayer of faith for him, or actually wanted us to come. He said, I will buy you and Cheryl a ticket, airplane ticket, to come to Salt Lake City, Utah tomorrow to pray for me. I said, are you in pain? He said, I'm in excruciating pain. He said, Tuesday I fell out of a tree 35 feet up and broke my back. They care flighted me to the hospital and done a CT scan on me and my back is crushed. I said, well, Mark 11:23. I want you to get your Bible out and I want you to see this great and awesome statement that the king said about the power of your confession. Now I want you to realize that your confession is going to rule you in life. Whether it's good or bad, whether it's positive or negative, what comes out of your mouth is what's going to rule you. It never ceases to amaze me when I sit down with somebody that's old and they know they're old. And when I say, well, how old are you? Well, I just had my 50th birthday. And you're old? Oh, yeah. I'm glad I'm not old, aren't you? Praise God. You know, I'm glad I'm not ruled by what I see. I'm ruled by the Word of God in my confession. Well, Mark 11:23. As you turn to Mark 11:23, I want you to see the king right there in Mark 11 had just spoken to a tree and the tree had died. He said, may you never bear fruit again. And the tree died, didn't it? Then Peter the next day said, Lord, the tree that you cursed has withered. How did you do this? He said, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. Anyone, anyone that believes in me, not only can you do these things, but you can speak to the mountain." And command the mountain to be removed from here and cast into the sea. He said, if you don't doubt in your heart, the mountain will obey you. And then he makes this statement. So therefore, whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you will have whatever you say. Did the king say that? If the king said that, then why do we say, why, well, first of all, do we go around with all this negative confession? Why do you go to church, walk up somebody, slap them on the back, say, good morning, sister, or good morning, brother, how are you doing? Well, I'm not doing too good this morning. I had a bad week this week. You didn't make enough money this week. Things are not going well, and it'll probably be worse next week. You ever heard of that kind of nonsense? Somebody over here a while ago said, how are you doing? I said, praise God, I'm doing absolutely magnificently wonderful, but I'm rapidly improving. Now, what am I going to have? What I say. So I took that verse, Mark 11, 23. What did the king say I could do there? Mark 11, 23. Whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe with your heart, you can have whatever you say. Did he really make that promise? Your Bible reads like that? How much power does He give you and me? It's amazing what we don't know, isn't it? 
So I took that simple. Somebody said, well, that only worked for the apostles. Okay, I used to believe that nonsense. But now I don't believe that no more. But that verse just a few months ago with a man in his 50s, a doctor from Salt Lake City, Utah, that had fell out of a tree on Tuesday and broke his back. And I took that verse and we're driving down the road in, my, in our little pickup. We just stopped at the mailbox and got the mail about 10 o'clock at night on Sunday night. We're driving up to the house, and I prayed the prayer of faith for Dr. Gary Young. I said, now then, according to Mark eleven twenty three, the king says, I can have whatever I say with my mouth if I believe with my heart. So I said, Father, in Jesus' name, do a supernatural healing on his back. Make it better than it ever was before, and take away all his pain, and ask you to do it for him supernaturally right now in the name of Jesus. I said, guarantee, sir, you will get a supernatural healing from our king, and his name's Jesus. Now, I didn't say, well, now, if it's his will, maybe he'll do this for you. Do you hear that a lot in the church? Yeah. And you, see, you know what that brings, too, don't you? It don't bring nothing. The king don't never show up for you when you speak something like that. Well, I hung up the telephone. We drive down the road, and Cheryl, my wife, she looks over at me. She says, well, what do you think? I said, oh, no problem. He'll be healed before we get there. I mean, do you think you do you think I believe what I say? Why can't I have that kind of faith? Because the King of the Universe wrote it in His book. I mean, I'm, if I'd have wrote a book, sir, you probably wouldn't have a whole lot of faith in what I wrote. But when me and you read the King's book, it's a different story, right? So I believe it. So anyway, we get home, we're unloading the car, and the phone rings. And it's Dr. Gary Young. He is already completely healed and up running down, up and downstairs and carrying his little son and everything else. And he picked us up himself the next day at the airport at Salt Lake City, Utah. We spent two days in his beautiful home and we taught the Word of God to his family's relatives and his business employees where, we, where he actually owns a business out there and got about 700 people working for him. He's got clinics, doctors, places, clinics, everything in the world. But they couldn't get him healed. Don't do no good to have a clinic if you've got a broken back, right? Don't do no good if you've got 20 clinics. If you've got 700 people working for you, you can't get a broken back healed. But one man of faith put a prayer of faith for him over the telephone and used that magnificent promise of Mark 11, 23. And then I guaranteed him he'd get a supernatural healing from the king. And his name is Jesus. Bam. Just like that, the king did it. Somebody says, these things don't work no more. They don't work as long as you don't do them in faith. But when you do them in faith, brother, they work. You know that? Don't they, brother Orville? Yeah, he's seen a lot of them. So now then, the power of your confession, your confession is going to rule you. So since we know this, I'm going to go over a few things that you should confess. And some things you should never confess. How many people walk up to me and say, My so-and-so. My cancer sure has been bothering me a lot lately. Well, stop claiming that nasty beast and give it back to the one from which it came from. Now listen to this. I confess Jesus as my Lord. So I possess salvation. Did the Lord say in Romans 10, 8 and 9, 
anybody that confesses Him with His mouth, and if you believe in your heart, you're saved. Did He say that, ma'am? Are you born again? Why are you born again? Because it's written in the Word. Somebody said, well, did you see any angels when you got saved? No. Did you hear any bells? Did you see Jesus? Well, then how do you know you're saved? How do you know you're saved? It's written in the Word. And you know, you believe in your heart that the Word's true, right? So if I believe that in my heart, and I confess that with my mouth, I am saved. Now then, what if you say, what if I walk up to you and say, hey, brother, are you born again? You say, well... I hope so. <laughs> you ever heard anybody say that? Yeah. Well, let me tell you, you better tell them, well, they better get rid of that unbelief and get real with God. Because if you just hope you're saved, that's just like hoping you're going to be healed. You ain't going to be healed and you ain't going to be saved. One day when you stand in His presence, He's going to say, I didn't know who you are. You did not receive me by faith. You were hoping you were going to be saved. No. Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10 says, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you are saved, right? What should our confession be? I'm a son of God. I'm a joint heir with the King. I am not a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Nothing is impossible with me because Jesus is my Lord. These are all, everything I just said coming right out of the Word of God. They're all Scriptures. Jesus said, if you have faith and doubt not, nothing shall be impossible with you. Nothing. See, you've got to believe Him. So, then, do you believe you're healed? Well, if you do, when, you get, when this becomes a revelation to you, you will never have to have anybody pray for you for healing again. When this becomes a real revelation. I confess that with His stripes, I was healed. Not going to be, but I was. If I was, I am healed, so I will not be sick, so I possess healing. Because it's written in Isaiah 53, 5, But He was wounded and bruised for our sin. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was lashed and we were healed. We were what? Were healed. If you were, then I was. And I refuse to let any kind of sickness and disease attach itself to my physical body in the name of Jesus. I mean, after all, the king's the one who did it for me. If he did it, then why are so many of us sick? Because we do not know these great and awesome promises. Why was I sick so many years of my life? In fact, I might tell you this story that when I was 11 years old, although I'd been in church all of my life, I mean, I was, I went to church the first time nine months before I was born. (laughs) Mama carried me to church in her womb regularly. It didn't make it up what I screamed and kicked and said, I don't want to go. I'm going. <laughs> Same way when I got a little older, even in those dad weekends when Dad had to be out of town or something, it didn't make it up how much I screamed and kicked and said, Mom, but Dad's not here this week. He's out of town. She said, but we're going to church. 
Somebody says, I'm not going to make my kids do anything. No, until they get saved, they belong to the devil anyway. And you don't have to teach them how to be mean or not to want to serve God because they don't want to serve God because they're children of the devil. You've got to teach them how to be children of God. So, you have to believe these things. You have to know these things. And if I confess that I'm healed... And now what the, the secret that took me over the edge to get me healed and keep me healed all these 20-something years without one minute of sickness and disease was I was reading in that scripture we just quoted in Romans 10, 9. When I came to Romans 10, 9, it said, If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you are saved. That night when I highlighted the word saved, it pulled this word into my computer. This mag don't think wrong with this sign that should have been about this big. The sozo is so important. That's a Greek word. Somebody says, I don't understand your sign. The living Savior ministry of Sozo. What does that mean? Well, Sozo means saved, healed, made whole, delivered, and preserved. That's what that word means. That's what that means. Now, that word, the night that I read that, and I saw that when I was in the King James Bible, and I clicked on the word saved in Romans 10, 9, said, if I'll confess with my mouth and believe in my heart, I will be saved. Is that what it says? But the word in the Greek is sozo. Now, the word Greek, sozo, when I clicked on that, it said that means saved, healed, made whole, delivered, and preserved. I said, what? I went back and looked up the word sozo, and I said, Computer, tell me how many times the word sozo is used in the Greek text. And just about that quick, it said 120 times in 103 different verses. Now the Lord says in His Word, Let everything be confessed out of the mouths of two or three witnesses. Does He not? He gave me 120. Do you think that ought to be sufficient? If he only requires two or three? So I went back from Matthew to Revelation. That word sozo is used in every book of the Bible in the, New, in the Greek New Testament. I went back and I started reading from Matthew and it took me hours to read 120 places. But at the end of those hours, I said, Lord... I guess I am more confused right now than I've ever been. Because if everything I've just got through reading in the last few hours is true, it meant when you said on the cross, it is finished, that meant my salvation was sealed. As long as I walk with you, I have a sealed salvation. I accept you as my Lord and Savior and walk with you. I have eternal life. I understand that principle. I am going to walk with you, and I'm going to do, be, walk in obedience to your word. And I know I'm saved, and I believe I'm saved, and I don't care what the devil throws at me. I'm going to be saved until I die and come home to be with you. I have eternal life. But I said, Lord, that word sozo means something else. It means healed. Well, it means a whole lot more than that. It means all them things. But right now, I'm just dealing with healing. I said, Lord, if that means healed, that means when you said it's finished, you healed every one of us. Just like Isaiah. Isaiah 53, 5 said, by his stripes we were healed. 
already done. Is that what he said? I thought, Lord, if that's true, then I don't understand. I received you as my Savior when I was 11. I know I've been saved ever since I was 11. I said, Lord, I've been sick a lot of times since I was 11. Anybody in here ever been sick since you got saved? Is there anybody in here that's never been sick since you got saved? Nobody. I was sick a lot. I had double pneumonia, back troubles. I don't know what all. I just had numerous things. I said, now Lord, if this is true, then technically speaking, I was saved on the cross 2,000 years ago, and I was healed on the cross 2,000 years ago. And you come and confirm that according to your word, I have already been healed. So I said, if I was healed, and I was delivered and given all power over the devil and the devil's defeated, then why have I been sick so many times since I was 11 to 40 years of age? I asked that question. And he spoke to me. It's as clear as I'm hearing my own voice. I heard the king say, Son, you have never received me as your healer by faith in my word. I said, Lord... I have to do everything by faith? He said, son, I'm a faith God. And he said that in his word, didn't he, young lady? And he said, without faith, it's impossible to please me. And if you draw back from faith, I am not happy with you. All that's written in the word. I said, okay, Lord, I see it. So tonight, at the age of 40 years old, I am kneeling on this floor... And I am receiving you tonight by faith as my healer. Because it's written in the Word. I mean, when you got saved, did you really believe you were saved? Did you see anything, feel anything, hear anything when you got saved? No, most people didn't. Every once in a while I see somebody say, man, I saw the light, you know, just like Paul did. Praise God, I didn't do that. When I got saved, I didn't feel, see nothing. I just accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Since it's written in the Word of God, I believe I'm saved. Don't you? Well, now, somebody come along and say, you know, you really don't believe you really are saved. Well, I sure hope I am. No, that's not what you say. You say, I know I am because my God wrote it in His book and I believe there's no fallacies in the Word of God. I hope I am. No, you, that's not what you say. You say, I know I am because my God wrote it in His book and I believe there's no fallacies in the Word of God. If he said it, that's it, it's done, I'm saved. Why do you know you're saved? Because it's written in that book. Is that what we stand on, brother? That's what we stand on. It's written in the book. Well, when I received Jesus as my healer that night, I said, I'm healed. I said, it says you've got to confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that you're healed. Now, if Jesus said it, can I believe it? Absolutely, I can. If the word sozo means healed, then you can take in Romans 10... 8 and 9, and you can read them like this. But what does it say? 
The word is near you. It is in your mouth and your heart. The word of faith that we preach. That if you will confess Jesus as Lord, and you'll believe in your heart the Father raised him from the dead, and you'll confess that with your mouth, you will be healed. That's what it means. You'll be healed. So why do you think the Lord said, let the weak say they're strong? Because he wants you to be strong. Why do you say, let the poor say they're rich? Because he wants us to be rich. He wants us to be blessed. But you know what people do? Oh, I had a bad week this week. Yeah, I know I go to church and I'm a, I do tithe. But if God don't show up this week, I don't know what I'm going to do to pay the bills this week. There ain't no faith in nothing you're doing. Everything you're doing is wrong. Your confession is wrong. Everything is wrong. You've got to learn how to talk. You've got to learn how to believe the Word. Now then, if that word sozo means healed, then your confession must be, I am healed, because it's written in the Word. Now then, if you confess with His stripes, I was healed, so I am healed. So I, I started immediately that day, the next morning, after I went to work, I walked into my workplace with all those Christians that I work with, and a lot of more Christians, and I walked in and I said, Praise God! You guys are looking at a guy that's never going to have another sick day in his life. What do you think they did to me? Sure, they laughed at me. Thurman, you know you're going to be sick. I said, you can be sick if you want to, but I am not going to be sick because last night I was in the Word of God and I learned by faith where Jesus healed me on the cross 2,000 years ago. So if I receive Him by faith and walk in obedience to His Word, there's no devil of hell can attach himself to me. And from this day forth, I am never going to be sick again in the name of Jesus. Now, you've got to believe that. You've got to believe that. But if you believe that with your heart, only you and God really know if you believe that. Well, let me tell you, when I got a hold of it and I believed it, it's worked over 20 years for me and I've not had one single sick minute in the last 20 years. And guess what? I am not going to have any more sick days because I am a son of God. I'm going to purify myself, keep myself clean and holy. I'm going to walk in obedience to God's Word and I'm going to walk in His power and in His divine nature. Now, if you don't believe that, it won't work for you. It's just like I was teaching over at Hillcrest here a while back. And there was a man coming up to me after the service. And he said, I, not in the big sanctuary, but it was a little area back there, the, the part where we were teaching to hold two or three or four hundred people. You know, but uh, it's still a great big church. But a guy coming to me and he said, you know, when I got a hold of what you were teaching years ago, he said, I wore glasses this thick. He said, I started saying, Lord, thank you for my beautiful, clear, sharp eyes in the name of Jesus. He said, then I started saying it two or three times a day. And then I started saying it a dozen times a day. Then he said, I just, every time I was not with somebody or whatever, and even sometimes when I was, I just said, Lord, thank you for my beautiful, clear, sharp eyes, both far and near. 
He said, I get up in the morning. I said, Lord, thank you for my beautiful, clear, sharp eyes. I said, look at her. I couldn't see a thing. Get them big old thick glasses and put them on. Say, Lord, thank you for them beautiful, clear, sharp eyes, both far and near, in the name of Jesus. He said, months and months and months and months I spoke that. He said, one day I was driving down the road. And I just driving down the road and said, Lord, thank you for my beautiful, clear, sharp eyes, both far and near. He said, the Lord spoke to me. He said, son, you really believe that, don't you? He said, well, yes, Lord, I believe it. He said, well, then take your glasses off. He said, I pulled off to the side of the road and stopped. He said, I took my glasses off, couldn't see a thing. So I said, Lord, I want to thank you one more time for my beautiful, clear, sharp eyes in the name of Jesus. And he said, whew, everything become as clear and sharp as a crystal. And he said, I've never had to wear glasses again from that day to this. See, he really had faith. But how long? How many times did he say it before it became a reality? Probably thousands. That's right, thousands. Now, aren't we glad it doesn't happen the first time you say, that tickles me to death? How many of y'all said that? Everybody has. If it happened the first time you said it, guess how many of us would be dead? <laughs> Every one of us. I bet you there's not a single person in the room had said that at least 20 times in their life. Maybe more. But it didn't kill you yet. But stop saying it on will. You see where I'm coming from? It's, your confession is very, very important. Now, God knew all these things. That's why he didn't fix it where the first time you made a mistake, he'd kill you. Because if he had it, all you'd have said was, that took off me to death. And bam, your life's over. You wouldn't get a second chance. So, thank goodness. So, if you start saying that Isaiah 53.5 says he was wounded and bruised for our sins, he was beaten that we might have peace, he was lashed and we were healed. And it's a done deal. And then in Matthew 8.17, it says, in fact, I want you to see these scriptures in Matthew 8.17. You really need to get this, that's Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, but in, in Matthew uh, 8.17, I want you to see this and see what he says. I wonder what I was thinking when I used to read this book. But I look at this book and it says in Matthew 8.17, in fact, I want somebody to you, you, all of you, I want all of you to read that. And then I want you, one of you, to tell me what you think he's saying there. Matthew eight seventeen. It's obvious we read the book and don't get it. Or we don't believe it. Matthew 8, first of all, Matthew eight sixteen. In Matthew eight sixteen, it says, When evening was come, he went about casting out devils. And healing a few of the people? Oh, feel, healing all of the people? To confirm what, what was written by Isaiah the prophet. Is that what he said? Jesus went about casting out the demons and healing the sick. Is that what he said? Yeah, all the sick. All the sick. Who was making them sick? The devil was. He was casting out the devil and healing all the sick to confirm what was written by Isaiah the prophet 
And what was, what was written by Isaiah the prophet in verse 17? He, he did what? He took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now wait a minute. If Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, do you think he planned for you to be sick? Then why are so many of us sick? Why is so many Christians sick? They're sick the same reason I was sick for 40 years. I didn't know he already did that for me. I mean, I could read that. He himself, think about it. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. He himself took our infirmities and bore my sickness. If he bore my sickness and bore your sickness, then praise God, why do you allow the enemy to put it upon you? Obviously because we don't know the truth. Now see, is, whose body is this? Is it yours? No. If you're a Christian, who's it belong to? The Lord. That's, this is His body. Where does He live today? In His body. Where is God right now today? He's in here. Each one of you brought the Holy Spirit with you and you brought Jesus with you. So when you come today, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Somebody says, I sure hope God shows up at church today. Well, I guarantee He's here today because we all brought Him with us. You know, He's here. He showed up. He's never far away. He can't be far away because this is the dwelling place of all the places in the universe He could have dwelt, chose to dwell. He chose to live in those of us that will make Him our Lord and Savior. So, He's here. And if He lives here, do you think He wants this body, this temple He lives in, to be dirty and cruddy with sickness and disease? Absolutely not. I mean, if you got a nice, clean house, like I was talking to one of the ladies up here a while ago, she said, I used to have a problem believing that I, as a Christian, could have a demon. I said, I know. I had a problem believing that, too. But I said, is this thing a house? She said, yes. I said, do you live in a house? She said, yes. I said, have you ever seen any bugs or mice or anything in your house? She said, well, unfortunately, yes. I mean... Have anybody ever killed a snake in your house? I have. You know, I was laying, I was sitting there in a little tiny, oh, yeah, Ty was telling me the other day, he went into the, he got a little area there with some, uh, uh, I don't know, ice, a little ice machine and everything, and he had a great big old stuffed owl up there. Not a great big one, but a pretty good size one, on the bench. And all of a sudden he heard this terrible noise. And he go in there, and this owl had fell off of the deal down in the floor, and a great big snake had been in his house and went up there to eat that owl. And when he found out it was a stuffed owl, he didn't want to eat it no more. Was that right, huh? That's right. Yeah, in his house. Right then, wave. I mean, that's in the cedar part of his house. That snake had to come from a long way somewhere to crawl through the house to get to where he was. But that snake thought he was going to have dinner with that owl. He tried to swallow that owl. And then he found out it was stuffed. So when Ty came in and heard this noise, and he looked, and there was the owl laying on the floor, and laying there with him was that great big old snake. Now what are you going to do at this point? Kill him. Absolutely right. Reach down and grab that beast by the tail? 
take him outside, right? <laughs> oh, Lord of mercy. Now, you can have snakes in your house. You can have mice or rats in your house. You can have bugs. You can have cockroaches. You can have all kinds of stuff in your house, can't you? Is it a chore to keep your house clean? Yeah, because these little critters want to come in. I guarantee it's a chore to keep your house clean. Bugs. I mean, crickets. You know, I mean, crickets. I mean, we have crickets in our house. I know some of y'all do too. These little beasts get in. Well, let me tell you, this is a house that God lives in. But do you want your house contaminated with crickets and bugs and snakes and mice and rats? You do everything you can to keep it clean, don't you? Well, the Lord wants His house clean. He wants His house clean. He don't want no snakes in there. He don't want them demons in there where He's at. He wants it clean. So He bore your sickness so you could keep a clean house. So if we allow the devil to come into our house, we've done it. We've not believed these promises. Because if he took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses, he didn't plan for you and me to be sick, did he, brother? No. And we ain't going to be, are we? No. We're going to take the Word of God and by faith, we're going to drive out every sickness and disease in our body. We're not going to allow it to stay. Somebody said, well, pray for me and I want to get healed. I pray for you just like I don't know how many people that I've seen God instantly healed. And that's a miraculous healing. And we love it when God shows up and does that. But many, many times over, He's healed people instead of doing miracles. You pray for them. Like the little lady here a while back come to a healing school. She in a wheelchair and on oxygen. I prayed for her after healing school's over, and she went out in her wheelchair with her oxygen. She gets home that night, and she's sitting there thinking, you know, what he said is true. Jesus has already done this for me. I don't need this oxygen no more. So she reads up, takes the oxygen off, and lays it down and said, Lord, I don't need this no more. I'm going to breathe your air. And she said it was the most beautiful breath of fresh air like spring I'd ever breathed. And she could breathe perfect. But she made the decision. And then she said, she sat there a few minutes and thought, you know, since I can breathe so good, I don't need this wheelchair either. I'm going to get up and walk. And she got up and walked. And the next month when she came to a healing school, she walked into a healing school with no wheelchair and no oxygen. See, it became a reality to her, didn't it? It was real. What does the Word say? He bore our sickness and removed our disease. And then 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, are we dead to sin? Are we really? We're supposed to be. Is that true? So if we're really dead to sin, then he says we should live unto righteousness. How easy is it to resurrect the old beast? Have you ever done that just like I have, sir? Have you ever resurrected this beast and made him sin? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've all done that, haven't we? We don't want to go there. We don't want to do it. We want to get away from that. Because he says, if we'll die to sin and live unto righteousness... Then he says, by whose stripes you were healed. 
So if I was healed by the stripes of Jesus and all I got to do is repent of my sins, praise God, I'm healed. That is my confession. It's just like when Bill Gothard, when I was asked to speak at one of his seminars, and he called me and he said, Thurman, we followed the teachings of Benny Hinn, and we found out they don't work. I said, oh no, they work. He said, no, we personally checked out some of the people that said they got healed of certain serious terminal diseases, and some of those people within three to six months was dead. I said, oh yeah, I don't disagree with that. I said, but the problem is, those people that were sick with that sickness, whatever it was, they had no idea what brought the sickness on. They didn't know it was sin, because you don't hear that preached in church. I mean, I lived all of my life in church, never under, never reading one time that if you're sick, you sinned. But it's written in this book all over the place. I said, I never heard it. But I said, now I know the truth. I said, when those people had been sinning, and they got sick. Then when they went to a Benny Hinn crusade, where the Holy Ghost was flowing like crazy, and they got healed, then they went out knowing they felt good, and they went out telling people, man, I know I'm healed because I feel so good. So that means I can go back to doing whatever I was doing before. Like this one woman, they got sick and afflicted, and we got her, she'd been living with a man, got her to move out. And prayed for her. She repented and she got totally healed. And about six or eight months later, she come back with a sickness even worse. And I said, I, I've told you the truth. What happened? And she said, well, I don't know. It just came back on me. And as we talked a little while, I found out she had moved back in with that guy. I said, man, the Word of God says we purify ourselves from all sin. I said, you can't live with that guy and live in divine health. That's sin. That's open the door to the devil. And he's going to kill you. All he was waiting for you to do is move back in with him. Well, Thurman, surely that's not sin. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I guess I'll have to ask that same question. I was driving down the road the other day and I looked up and went, great big billboards. What do you not understand about thou shalt not God? I mean, that's pretty easy, isn't it? He didn't give us a whole lot of thou shalt not, but he gave us a few, didn't he? And those are very important. So if you don't do what he says, it's going to bring forth sickness and disease in your flesh. Because he's God. And he's no respect to a person's. That's one thing about God. He don't care who you are. If you break his rules, he teaches each one of us the same way. So you're going to have to learn these things. So your confession should be, with his stripes I am healed. Now Lord, I got ever, I'm also going to confess sin. If I have any kind of known sin, I confess it. I get it. I don't have no unforgiveness, no grudges. Lord, I ain't going there. Because if I do, I know open that door wide open to that devil. I mean, the minute you get in unforgiveness, the devil is just like hanging a neon sign out that says vacancy. And I mean, he comes running right to your door. I mean, it's so easy to get into unforgiveness. Don't go there. Then I confess that the Son has made me free, so I possess absolute freedom. Why? Because John 8.36. John 8.36 says, so if the Son sets you free, you will indeed be free. So as children of God, are we free? Yes. By faith we're free. He has set us free. 
But see, you've got to learn to confess the word. Somebody says, well, I'm not very free. I'm living in bondage. I mean, it's, you don't know the word. You don't believe it when you read it. Then here's a tough one. I confess that the love of God is shed abroad in my heart, so I possess the ability to love everyone. I possess the ability to love you? Could I really love an old guy like you? Yeah. Hey! <laughs> Guarantee I can. And now you make me blush. <laughs> <laughs> Why can I love you? Because of Christ in you. Amen. The love of God is shed abroad in my heart so I can love everybody. Is that right? Yes. Right. Now then, what if you say, well, I mean, this guy's a different color than me. I don't love him. Hmm. Ooh. You ain't got the love of God in your heart, do you? He's white. He's brown. He's black. I don't love him. Well, let me tell you, if that's your confession, then you need to get saved. Because if you got saved, the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, and from this day forth, it makes no difference whether male, female, little, big, whatever. You have the ability to love everyone because the love of God is shed abroad in your heart so you can love the brethren. If you can't love people, you need to get saved. You need to get saved. Because if you don't love people, again, you're breaking God's law. Did you know the Lord didn't say, love this guy because he's a good boy? You know what the Lord said in His Word? I command you to love one another. Is that what the king said? Well, we did, I command you, and we kind of, kind of read it, well, I command you to love one another. Well, yeah, I'll love her if she's a good girl. I'll love him good old boy here. No, is that what the king said, was he? I command you to love one another. Is that what he said? Yeah. So if the Holy Ghost is in my heart, I have that power to love everyone. So my confession is, I love the brethren. That's got to be your confession. Love is what makes everything work. If you don't love, nothing will work. Your faith don't work. Your healing don't work. Nothing works until you learn to walk in love. When you work in love, then your faith will work. Then it says, I confess that the righteous, which is who I am, the righteous are bound as lions. Why can I do that? So I possess lion-hearted boldness in spiritual warfare against the devil. Because Proverbs 28.1 Proverbs 28.1 says in fact, You got the Bible on that little computer there? What does Proverbs 28.1 say? Proverbs 28.1 He's got a little tiny computer there Woo! The righteous are what? Bold as lions. So, are we the righteousness of God in Christ? Absolutely, we're the righteousness of God in Christ. If we're righteous and we're children of God, then the righteous are bold as lions. How bold is a lion? 
Oh, man, that boy knows he's king of the jungle. You know, I can think about the movies. In fact, I was over in uh, Africa, and I watched some of these scenes. Some of these young lions go running up and kill a gazelle. They're out there eating. The old man, he's sitting up on top of the hill watching all this happen. He lets them eat a little bit. Then he gets up and he is this big old lion. He's not fast enough anymore to catch one, so he lets the young boys do the work for him. <laughs> so after they eat a little bit, he comes walking down there and says, And even these young lions go running away. And then Daddy comes walking over, half toothless, can't hardly do nothing. But them young boys know he's the king of the jungle. He's bold. And he walks up and he sits down and eats what he wants. When he gets through, he walks off. He didn't have to catch the lion. He didn't have to catch the gazelle. All he did was eat it. And he'll do that to them boys until they learn he's not as strong as they are no more. Isn't that amazing? So that's the way we're supposed to be. As children of God, we're supposed to be bold as a lion with the Word of God. And we're not to fear nothing. I mean, who's on our side? The king of the universe is on our side. I mean, you don't have to take nothing laying down. I mean, nothing. We're children of God. All power is given to us over the forces of darkness. You don't have to yield to nothing the devil throws at you. Nothing. Stand strong in the word. When the devil comes at you and tries to put something upon you, I mean, get a hold of that devil and kick him out. It's just like the other day, uh, David Lammers. He was telling me, he said, I was getting a bunch of stuff together to do a big seminar for several hundred people. And he said, I was moving around and I picked up a laptop computer to move it and said, when I did, a sharp pain hit me right in the back. He said, I immediately went to my knees and it, my, pain, my hands became numb and everything. And he said, I immediately want to pull back your testimony, how the devil hit you in the back a few years ago. How you tucked the word and drove him out. He said, devil, I'm a son of God. You have no power over me and no authority over me. In fact, I have all power and all authority over you. He said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to take your pain and go elsewhere. He said, within a matter of a few minutes, all pain had left me and I was completely free. Well, see, I've done that same thing. He heard that testimony. He said, hey, God's no respecter of persons. If Thurman has that kind of boldness, if I have that kind of boldness, the devil's going to leave me the same way. And he did. When the devil hits you, don't be so quick to say, somebody call a doctor. Take the Word of God and drive this devil out. Don't let him get trenched in. You know, kick him out right then. Stand on the Word of God. That's what you're going to have to do. Then it says, I confess that the righteous are bold as lions. So I possess lion-hearted boldness in spiritual warfare because Proverbs 28, 1 says, But the godly are bold as lions. Then I confess, He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So I possess Christ with me every step of every day. How many people have you seen pray at the end of a service or whatever church? Say, Lord, go with us this week and watch over us and protect us. You ever heard that? You don't know where he is or who he is. 
Because once he came into you, everywhere you go, guess who's going with you? It might be a good idea that you remember that. Because there's probably some places you go and things you say to some people, if you were to turn and look and Jesus was standing right there, you might do things a little different. Y'all know where I'm coming from? Say you're, you're one of your, your friends or whatever, and you walk up to one of your friends and you're talking to him and he gets real upset with you, and you jump back and start getting mean with him. What if Jesus was to appear up between the two of you? What if I'd change both of you? But yet he's in there, isn't he? Yes, he is. I mean, just think. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can't get rid of him. Thank goodness. We don't have to ask for him to go with us. He's in there, so I possess him with me every second of every day. That's my confession. Christ is with me. Then I confess that I am the redeemed of the Lord. So I possess all of the promises of the Lord each day as I go. Now listen to these promises. Psalm 107. Psalm 107 verse 1. Say thank you to the Lord for being so good. For always being so loving and kind. He is so loving and kind. His love goes on. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others He has saved you from your enemies. Tell others what He's done. How many people do you know? In fact, I want to stop right here. And is there anybody in here today that has a testimony that you want to speak out and tell something God's done for you? Anybody have a testimony? Brother almost got one. He wants to tell us something. Let me get the mic out here. I want... I want you to hear some of the things that God is doing. Is it working? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the testimonies that uh, I wanted to share, I brought a, my best friend with me today. His name is Joe White. And uh, one of the testimonies is it's about Joe. And uh, it's how awesome God is. Uh, Joe was in a truck accident. Uh, he wasn't hurt severely. God really spared him. His truck was flipped over in a ditch, and uh, but Joe ended up having some neck, having a little neck pain, and uh, it went on for a, a while. And I I tried to talk to Joe and get him to let him let me pray for him. And uh, how so many of us do, uh, uh, we had to. Joe kind of jokes about it. He had to get a little pain and suffering, and. Uh, that's what exactly what he got was pain and suffering. But on a Wednesday night at church, uh, he was suffering pretty good, and I asked him one more time, could I pray for him? And he he said, you know, just you know, let me get this deal worked out with this insurance company, and then I'll we'll we'll take care of this. And, and uh, <laughs> so on Thursday night, I was at a ball game. My son plays football, and. Uh, Joe calls me, and I'm sitting up in the stands. He says, Orville, I need you bad. He says, I'm, my chest is hurting. He says, I think I'm having a heart attack. Uh, well, that's what she's That's what we thought, yeah. That's what everybody thought. Uh, they got, I got to, got to his house. Uh, I prayed over him, and nothing happened. Uh, I didn't know what. I was like, you know, God, what's the deal? The ambulance came. They took him away. They took him to the hospital. They thought he was having a heart attack at the hospital. 
they did all these tests on him. They said, you know, yeah, he's having he's having a heart attack. There's, there's something wrong with his heart. They don't know uh, didn't know exactly what it was. But uh, me and a, me and this friend of mine, he's a he's a man of God. We went outside away from everybody in the hospital, and we prayed and we asked God to tell us what is wrong. And uh, so many people don't understand what sin does. And uh, we just asked God. We said, God, I've I've prayed for this. You, you know, I'm not used to when I pray for somebody in faith and say the prayer of faith over them. I am used to them being healed. I'm not used to they getting kicked back. You know, since I've learned what Thomas taught me over the years, that you know, in, in the Word of God, and I believe that it's true. Uh, if somebody says they're sick, I'm like, well, let's pray. You know, I know that it's I know that it'll work. Uh, Anyway, it didn't work, and we asked the Lord to tell us, and I looked at Bob, and I said, Bob, the Lord told me it's sin, and uh, and Bob said, that's what, he is. that's what I'm getting to, so I went back in the hospital, and as soon as I walked back in, Joe's wife walks back out, and she's got this look on her face, and she's like, she's looks like she's almost disgusted or something, and I said, what's wrong, Sonny? She says, he just kicked us all out of his room, he said he don't want to talk to nobody but you. So I went back there, and he already knew what it was. But I told him, I said, the Lord's told me that you're, it's your sin. It's because you've been relying on this insurance company instead of relying on God. Amen. And uh, so he confessed his sins right then before God. And then I prayed the prayer of faith over him, laid hands on him, and his pain was gone. Amen. And uh, the next morning, they, the doctor came in and I was there. I'd left that night and came back the next morning. And the doctor said, they think he has an infection in the pericardial sac around his heart. And I'm standing there and I said, no, he don't. He ain't got nothing wrong with him. God healed him last night and he's, he's, there's not one thing wrong with this man. And the doctor looks at me like I'm crazy. He says, when did you become a cardiologist? I said, I didn't. I'm a man of God and I know what the God's told me and there ain't nothing wrong with him. And uh, his Joe's wife is like, you know, what are you telling this doctor this for? I, oh, I just, I don't know why I was. I wasn't me talking. It just come out. <laughs> and I asked her, I said, well, if you can't, if you, if they won't let him go, at least transfer him to another hospital. So they got their, their deals together, and they transferred him to Baylor. And I got to Baylor just in time the next day to see him sitting up there in a bed with his short britches on, and he's waiting on to release him. All the tests that they ran it. At the other hospital, that he come back positive. When they ran him at Butler, they were all negative. They said there's no sign of him having any heart problems at all. And so that's just what God will do when you put your put your faith in Him instead of man. Uh, he'll step right in and take care of things for you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Praise the King. The Lord told us to say these wonderful things He does. So praise God. Listen, get these testimonies out here. I have two, so I'll make them short. Um, the first one is, uh, a few Sundays ago, there was a plane that took off, and the, the rear tires blew up, blew up, and then they uh, thought it was going to crash, and all the, the fire trucks and everything were around. I think it was at one airport. I have forgotten where it was, but they had it on TV. And so Elaine and I, that's my wife, Elaine and I got together and I said, uh, Elaine, uh, we can pray the prayer of faith right now for, for those people on that plane. Amen. And the reason I did that was 
I was in a similar situation once too. The, the, the plane, they said the hydraulic system had failed, and then uh, everybody was in, enjoying. And when 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 they said the hydraulic system had failed, the place went quiet. They turned the light off, and everybody was praying. But I was looking out of the window, and I was excited. I had not seen so many fire trucks at one place before, <laughs> so I was excited. And, and and we landed safely, and nothing happened. So when that happened, I thought on that, and I said, Elaine, let's pray for these people. So we prayed a prayer of faith, I mean, the prayer of agreement. And we said, Father, you said whatever we agree on, you will do for us. And we don't want that plane to be damaged beyond the tire that had blown up, and we don't want a single person on that plane uh, to be hurt. And so we claim that in the name of Jesus. And and we sat there and watched the plane, and it just came down and came down. They had said it was going to spark. They had to go around. They said the plane had to go around and 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 dump somebody, burn out some of the, the fuel, because there would be sparks jumping from that tire that blew out. And but there was not a single spark, and that plane landed safely as if nothing was wrong with it. Hey, I mean, I, I'm not saying that other people were not playing, but praying, but. Uh, the fact is that the Lord laid it on our heart to, to pray for that. Amen. And my last one is that uh, uh, last Monday, I developed a serious pain in my hip. And it kept getting worse and worse. I, I, I prayed and I said, Lord, uh, I, I'm standing on uh, the truth of Isaiah 53.5 and First Peter 2.24. And I kept on doing that and it kept getting worse. Uh, Tuesday... Tuesday night, I went to bed and it was still bad. I woke up around three in the morning and it was really bad then. So I said, Lord, I am standing on Isaiah 53:5 and First Peter 2:24 that this thing is healed. And He said to me plainly, tell 30 people that. I, I, you know, I, He just said say that to 30 people. In other words, He meant for me to. Just say it. So, uh, and after that, I said, "Well, thank you, Lord." And what uh, that was around three in the morning. I woke up around seven thirty, and all that pain was gone. Everything was fine. So I went. I went to my church Wednesday night, and then uh, I, I told. I don't know if it was thirty, but and I'm sure it's more than thirty here. But I'm still thirty. Amen. Absolutely. Um, I have been saved from my enemies. Uh, I had received, a, um, was a security officer. I still have my license, but I received a threat that this gentleman was going to make me sick. And I said, well, you're not talking to my God because my God was, there may have been some pride in that. <laughs> I had to confess the pride. But uh, I said, you're not talking to my God because my God's going to heal me. Or I'm going to be, uh, I'm not going to be sick. And he said, I'm going to. Yes, yeah, so you're going to be sick. And I was like, no, you're talking to Satan. And, and he said he said it again a third time. I was like, no, I'm not. And um, after that, I did experience some things. And within six months, I actually ended up in the hospital. And I had a low hemoglobin count of about 7.7. Right prior to that, uh, going into the hospital, my spirit had left my body just a few seconds and I kind of I woke up and um, it came I like the Lord sucked it back in and I was, it was like not time to leave at all and um, so 
since then it's been about two two years, about eight months or so, and I've been experiencing um, all these different things going through my body, and uh, it's it's like now I, I I'm walking it. Jesus has saved me from my enemies Amen. because I'm you know I am recovered in the name of Jesus, Amen. and I am I am here, and there's. God has some business, so we got to do some work. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay. Amazing what God does for us, but He says that we ought to tell and speak out, tell others the good things that God has done for you. So then, First uh, John two twenty seven, I confess that the anointing of the Holy One is in me. So I confess. Or I possess yoke destroying results by his anointing. Because it's written in first John two twenty seven. First John two twenty seven says, But you have received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you in your heart. So that you don't need anyone to teach you what is right, for he teaches you all things, and he is the truth, and no liar. And so just as he has said, you must live in Christ never to depart from Him. That's the living Bible. If you have not received the Holy Spirit, don't wake up in the morning if you don't ask the Lord, fill me to overflowing today with the Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord, fill us all with the mighty Holy Spirit. Then I confess that in the name of Jesus I can cast out demons. I confess I can cast out demons. How can I do that? So I possess the authority for dynamic deliverances. Why? Mark sixteen seventeen makes this statement. Mark sixteen seventeen says, And these signs shall follow those who believe. In my name you will drive out demons. The Living Bible says, and those who believe shall use my authority to cast out demons, and they shall speak with new languages. Now, if you don't believe you can cast out a demon, you don't believe God's Word. Because the Word of God says, And these signs shall follow those that believe. I didn't realize how many unbelieving believers there was in the church. There's a lot of unbelieving believers in the church. You ask the average Baptist where I went to church, you believe you can cast out a demon? Old Thurman, don't talk about demons. We might excite one of them. He might come after us. That tells me, I've, had, I've been to churches with pastors that say, now would you tone it down about demons? Well, you might make the devil mad. I said, that devil of hell, I am not afraid of the devil. Not at all, because the king says he gives me power to tread on the devil and his demons, right? right. All power is given to me over him. He cannot hurt me. So as long as I stand in faith on that, what can the devil do to you? Nothing. No fear. No fear whatsoever. Well, then I confess that I can lay hands on the sick and they will get well. How can I have that kind of faith? Because it is written. Mark 16, verse 18. And they will be able even to handle snakes or the devil with safety. 
And if they drink anything poisonous, it will hurt them. And they will be able to place their hands on the sick and heal them. If you have never laid hands on the sick and seen somebody get healed, you need to start practicing that immediately. If you don't act on God's Word, you'll never see God do wonderful things. Can you imagine that they bring a little... You've been telling people for three months that the new place where you're working that Jesus is not only the Savior, He's the healer and He's a miracle worker. And everybody thinks you've lost it. And then a little 64-year-old woman comes walking in one morning with both hands wrapped up. In the cafeteria, about 40 people in the cafeteria. I look over to the door where she was and I said, Ma'am, what's wrong with you? Well, she said, uh, my, went to the doctor this last week and they say I have carpal tunnel. Well, at that time I didn't know what carpal tunnel was. I said, well, what can they do about it? She said, well, at my age, nothing. She said, if I was younger, they could do surgery. But they said at 64, they didn't want to do nothing. But they, I've got to work at least another year until I'm 65 because I can't draw enough Social Security until I get 65. I said, how would you like for Jesus to heal you? Well, she said, I'd love it. I said, come over here to my table. You know, in the cafeteria with all kinds of people talking, when you make a statement, how would you like for Jesus to heal you? It gets very quiet in the cafeteria. And this lady come walking up to my table and I lay down my spoon. I mean, I'm eating a bowl of cereal. I'm being very spiritual. I lay down my spoon, reach up, put one hand on her and raise one up to heaven. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, you said in your word I could drive out devils and I could lay hands on the sick. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, do a complete healing on this woman from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet in the name of Jesus. And instantly, the king of the universe instantly healed that woman. And over the next three months, everything she had wrong with her and her body, he healed everything in her body, including a hernia. That I didn't know that woman had a hernia. You know, I'd never seen this woman, you know, where I could tell she had a hernia on her body. But she knew it and God knew it. And so when I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, do a complete healing on this woman from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. He immediately took away the demons, just like he did yours, and the hands and wrists. And she could, no more pain, nothing. And then over the next three months, he healed the hernia. He healed everything in this little woman's body. It's amazing to me what God wants to do for us, his children, and we are living in total unbelief. I can just see now the king sitting on his throne up there with his feet upon his sofa, you know, drinking his iced tea. When all of a sudden he heard one of his sons say, I'm going to kick out this devil, lay hands on you, and Jesus is going to heal you. I can just see the king jump back, spill his iced tea, and say, did I hear one of my sons say that he believed my word? What? He really believed my word? He said, Holy Spirit, down there on that earth where you are, get Just like he said, he's speaking my words. And man, it happened. Don't you love to see God do those kind of things? When you pray the prayer of faith for somebody, and that little lady was instantly healed of her 
carpal tunnel. And she began to holler. Why, I'm not dizzy anymore. My hands don't hurt no more. Everybody in that place kind of got up gently and walked out. One of the men that was in that room with me that morning, he had he worked for me and he was one of my leads. And after I started praying with him every morning over the everything we did, he said, "Oh my gosh, I, he's a Christian. Goes to church once in a while." He said, "Oh goodness, I got a Bible thumping boss. I guess I'm going to find me another job." But after he, he saw that little lady get healed that day. He come down to my office and he stood right in front of me just like he's standing at attention. He said, Thurman, this God you serve is real. I said, well, of course he's real. He said, I know that woman. And she's healed. I've been up there talking to her hour. She really has no pain. She's healed. I said, well, after all, it's only Jesus. You know, I mean, I'm not excited. I mean, just Jesus just doing his thing. But if you don't act... He can't do his thing. But he healed that woman. Did Jesus say you can lay hands on the sick and they'll get well? If you haven't done that, you need to start doing that. You need to start standing on the Word. So I possess that I can lay hands on the sick and they will get well. Because Jesus said I could. Do you know we're new creatures in Christ? Because of 2 Corinthians 5. You know we're delivered from the power of darkness. Anybody remember the scripture in Colossians we read that said we're delivered from the law and that he's disarmed? Anybody remember where that's found? Colossians 2, 13, 14, and 15. We didn't read Colossians 1, but here's a couple of extremely good verses in Colossians 1. Start verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. Now stop and think about that. What does it mean to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in the light? Be a partaker of the inheritance. Do you know that everything that was available to Jesus is available to you? Somebody said, but he was Jesus. Yeah, he was. But as the Father has sent Him, so sends He you. Everything that was available to the King when He was here, He gave to you and me when we become His children. Everything. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? To think that all that belongs to us. Verse 13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has has translated us into the kingdom of the Son of God. Used to be a child of the devil. Now you're a daughter of the king. You need to see yourself as a daughter of the king. I tell people all the time, there was a lady come to a healing school and she said, I am extremely deathly afraid of heights. I said, you don't know who you are in Christ. She said, what do you mean? I said, what scares you? She said, any kind of heights. I said, well... Don't get up on nothing. She said, but this new bridge they built up here on 635? She said, to get on 75 going north, that thing must be 100 feet high. 
said, you have to go way over. She said, I just can't do that. She said, I have to go up to the next exit, go around, and come around on the other side. It takes me about three or four miles to get back. Because she said, I can't go over that. I said, you don't have a clue who you are in Christ. I said, you start home today, you tell that devil you defy him to even think about doing that to you. You say, in the name of Jesus, I am not afraid of nothing. I'm not afraid of heights or nothing. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to go up over that bridge and I'm going to have no bad feelings. I have no fear. And I said, we're going to cast this devil of fear out of you in the name of Jesus. The next Sunday, that lady came to church. She said, I left that healing school that day. And I drove up on that thing. She said, I never felt so comfortable in my, my life. I just drove right up, right over the top. I thought, this is a breeze. It is when you get rid of the devil. The devil's in there telling you, oh, look how far it is. What is this thing? Where to fall? I said, no problem. If it falls, the Lord's going to send his angel and pick me up so I don't even dash my foot against the stone so I'm not going to be injured. That's written in Psalm 91. So if you know the Word and claim the Word, confess the Word, what's going to happen? Good things are going to happen. But you've got to trust the King for them to happen. That's like that little city down here in Texas in World War II. It was a small town, and they had 40 or 50 men from that little town go to war. They took everyone's picture, took it down and put it on a bulletin board, on the county square and every day people come by and read or quoted Psalms 91 over every one of them men. Every one. And you know how many of them men came back unscratched? Every one of them. That's right. Somebody was standing in the gap with the Word of God. The king's watching over his Word to perform it. Hey! He can do all things, right? Praise the king! Then Romans 8.37 This is something we don't see ourselves as. Are you a conqueror? Are you a conqueror? Are you? You're more than a conqueror, right? Amen. Why are you more than a conqueror? Because it's written in the Word. It's written in the Word. If we're children of God, we're not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. So what should we be afraid of? Nothing. When the devil comes upon us to put sickness and disease upon us, all we need to do is repent of our sins and drive them out. I think about a young man that's very highly steeped in religion that came out to this church a few years ago. And actually his wife and two daughters come to start with. And they're were impressed what they heard. So they went back and told daddy, husband. And so he came the next Sunday. And he stayed two hours after church and told me how many places I was wrong. I said, well, what I'm teaching is exactly what's written. He said, but that's not what God meant. I said, well, then if he didn't mean it, he shouldn't have put it in the book. Because I'm just simple enough to believe that if he said it, I believe it. So he told his wife, I said, you can't come back out here no more. So she said, she called me on Wednesday, and she said, my daughters and I love to come to your church, but said my husband said, we can't, so I have to obey him. I said, that's right. So I said, let's pray. We took authority over that devil that was blinding his mind and asked the Lord to soften his heart and let her and him girls come to church. One of the daughters was very seriously tongue-tied, couldn't hardly talk. 
So the next Sunday, they came up and brought her up and wanted, they were there. She said, Saturday afternoon, I don't know what happened to my husband, but he comes Saturday and he said, you know, I know you and the girls like to go out there. So he said, I'm going to let y'all go, but I ain't going. So that day, she brought the daughter that was tongue-tied up here. I cast a demon out of her, and she went home talking normal. The next Sunday, he was here. They came several times after that. He said, I guess I've been deceived, haven't I, Thurman? I said, yes, I believe you've been deceived. He said, it's very difficult not to believe the Word of God works when you have a miracle living in your own house. That little girl today is still talking perfectly normal four or five years later. Hey, I love doing what I do. Don't you, Brother Abel? We love praying for people and seeing people get set free. Because God is the one. He's on our side. He's not some God that's way off out China that's not willing to do anything. He's right here. Do something in faith and it will turn him on. And you'll get to see him do great and mighty things. Yeah, Praise the King. Now then, one last thing here. That in Ephesians 1, 3, and 4, I don't know how many times I read this, and it, I didn't get it. I'm going to read it to you and see if you get it. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be... The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. How many of those are yours? If He's already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, then what do you need to pray for? Not much. You know what you need to pray for more than anything else? Don't ask God to give you these blessings. They're already yours. Just start acting on them. You, I tell you what you can pray for. Or open the eyes of the church. We are so blind to the things and the promises of God. Then he says that just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame. Before Him in love. Are we supposed to walk in love? Absolutely. We're supposed to walk in love. We're supposed to realize that these blessings are ours. And we must know that we are the temple of the living God. And we must really know that your miracle is in your mouth. That's where your miracle is. Your confession rules you. If you confess... The Word of God, you can walk in divine health. Not just walk well, walk in divine health. That's what God, there's no two ways about it, that's what God designed His church to be. A group of people that walk holy in obedience to His Word, that literally serve Him and put Him first. And when we do, we are to walk in divine health. Now then, if there's any kind of a sin, you've got to get rid of it. Any kind of a sin. And sometimes that sin is just your confession is wrong. Your confession is wrong. You have to confess the Word. You have to believe the Word. 
See, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, I've got this problem. i got a cancer in my arm. But if you'll pray for it, today's Saturday. I've got an appointment with the doctor on Thursday. If it's gone by Thursday, I know that God healed me. You didn't believe God. If you come up here and said that devil's put a cancer in my arm, I know I've committed some kind of sin. I've repented of that sin. Now you put your hands on it, drive that devil out, and I'm going out here, praise God, I'm going back to work. I am healed because it's written in the Word of God. And when you do that, it happens. But most people can't grasp that. I mean, as long as they can see that thing there, they cannot believe they're healed. They go by what they see, go by what they hear. But you've got to go by what the Word says. Running and playing and she's eight years old. You know, and she doesn't have a scar on her little body. Nowhere. Her face was torn because I told the Lord, Lord, I don't want them. See, now, you've got to learn to confess what you want. Not the problem. You've got to confess what you need. And then you've got to believe it's done. Because He said, your miracle is in your mouth. So if you'll confess what you want and walk in love. If you don't walk in love, forget it. It's not going to happen. you got to walk in love. For you guys that are married, if you're not walking in love with your wife, forget it. It don't do no good for you to pray. God is not going to hear your prayer. Because He said in His Word, He does not hear your prayer. He says, men, you must love your wives and he didn't say a little bit. He said, like I love the church. you know how hard that is to love your wife like God loved the church? <laughs> Willing to give your life for your wife. you know how hard that is to do that? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know my husband has a hard luck. <laughs> your husband has a hard time doing that too, huh? Because why do we have such a hard time living our lives like that? Because we're men. You know, we think different than women. I thought it was just because he was a Jew. You thought it was because he was a Jew, huh? Yeah. Oh, it's because he's a man. You know, men do things different than women. How many of you women know that men do things different than you do? All of you, right? All you little girls, you know, y'all like things a certain way. And us old boys, we do things different. But... Men, you got to love your wives. If you want your prayers answered, the Lord says your prayers will be hindered. And what, what does it mean for your prayers to be hindered? It just means they won't be answered. It's just that simple. So if you're not loving your wife like Christ loved the church, you're sinning. Now you need to get right with God, confess that sin, and stop it. And start loving your wife like Christ loved the church. Be good to her. Love her. You know, do I have to love her all the time? Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a story. This, this is so good. One night, Cheryl and I was going home after church too, by the way, and I said something that didn't exactly go just right with her. I know some of you girls have had your husband say something that didn't go just exactly right. So she read me the riot act. Well, I listened to her about fifteen minutes, and then I thought, well, I need to throw something else. And so I said something else, and that she didn't like that either. And so now she's reading me the Bible for another 15 minutes. So I figure the best thing I can do is just not say nothing. Because everything I say is wrong. Not, some of you guys have been married to a guy that everything he said was wrong, right? Oh, oh yeah, I know. All of y'all know that. 
You know, I've been and done it. Well, that night I couldn't do nothing right, so I just quit talking. We get home, I go out into the shop to unload some stuff, and Cheryl, she's going into the minister center, and she's saying, Lord, this man you give me, what am I supposed to do with this guy? Now, some of you girls felt like that before about your own husband? Huh? Yeah, sure, you know what I mean, right? So anyway, she's back there, and if I ever needed help from God, I needed it that night. Thank you, Lord. She's back there saying, Lord, what do I need to do with this man you gave me? I mean, there's nothing. I mean, she was just grumbling and complaining about this man that she had. What should I do with him? Well, it really helps when God speaks to you out loud. He said, love him. What is that? What is that? Oh, yeah, she said, he said, just love him. Now, you know, the word says that, doesn't it? You women are supposed to love your husbands. But see, it made, it made a tremendous impact when God spoke to her. Told her. So she comes to the back door, looks at in the back, says, Honey, are you out there? I said, Yes. She said, Are you coming back to the house anytime soon? I said, Yes, I'll be right there since I put all this stuff down. So I walked back up there and I walk in. Uh, when I walked out, I was walking out of a wife grumbling about everything I said. So I really didn't want to come back to the house. I wanted to stay out there in the dark. But you know, whenever I heard this little plea, come, and I walked up and I looked and she was crying. I said, what's wrong? She said, would you forgive me? I said, yes. I said, what happened? She said, the Lord spoke to you and told me to love you. I, said, I looked up and said, oh God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, let me tell you, all of us have needed those spoken words. Not only on the last part, but once in a while on my part. You know, so it doesn't make any of who you are. I can tell these kind of stories on me and Cheryl, because I don't care who you are, there's never been a man and a woman alive on the face of earth that didn't have a little disagreement at some time or another. Is that right? Even if you're a pastor and his wife, they still have those little disagreements. But most of the time, it's really good. Most of the time, you know, we walk together, we love together, we play together, we have all kinds of fun. But every once in a while, the enemy comes in. And I really think what happens, the enemy comes in today and he says, I'm going to confuse this issue. And so I say something and he takes all my words and turns them around. And before we get to her ears, she heard something entirely different. I can't believe you would say that to me. What did I say? You know, I... Have you ever been there, brother? <laughs> That's another guy. <laughs> he, he said the same problems I have. Well, let me tell you, it works the same both ways. So, that's, see, it's the enemy that's there doing what he's doing to get us into a condition where we're not walking in that love walk, so he gets legal right to torment us. So, when you confess your sins and walk in that love walk, then you can come and pray for things and ask God for things, and he will do it. Wow. Just like Brother Arnold says, when I pray for people, I usually expect to see an answer. Not once in a while, since all the promises of God are yes and amen, we expect an answer every time, right? Absolutely. So, just remember that 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, no matter how many promises God made you, if you're in Christ, walking in obedience to His Word, you're dwelling in Him. All of your answers to all of His promises to you are yes 
and amen. But that says, if you're, 2 Corinthians one twenty, yeah, 2 Corinthians one twenty. So you got to remember, if you're in Christ, what did he say a while ago? If we're in Christ, how much do we sin? When we're in Christ, we don't sin. So when you're in Christ and you're not sinning, you're walking holy, the answers to God's promises when you pray is always yes. Always. Isn't it wonderful? God's Word is so powerful. Father, we thank You and praise You for this day. Lord, I thank You for the privilege to sit here with these people and talk about Your Word. Because, Lord, it's just such a wonderful book. Wonderful promises. And we're grateful that You're our healer, our Savior, our deliverer. We're so grateful that You give us all the spiritual blessings. We're so grateful You give us all power over the enemy. And all we got to do is repent of sins and rebuke the enemy and drive him away. And it's really all so simple. Thank you, Father, for these blessings. Thank you for healing us. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. And thank you, Lord, for healing everybody here today. And thank you, Lord, for blessing everybody that came today with a greater knowledge of your word. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.